Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1371, air date December 8th, 2023. Switching between Pepsi and, and uh, Coca-Cola is not going to solve this problem. And uh, the U.S. has been stuck in this paradigm for a long time. And Americans don't know what has uh, been happening to them, what is happening to them, and what is going to happen to them in the coming years. For the last uh, 40 years or so, uh, the average American has been getting shafted. Uh, the middle class has been shrinking. Uh, the inequality, poverty, uh, uh, homelessness, they've been skyrocketing. You know, the uh, statistics are just shocking. It's like uh, something like the top 0.1% of the Americans have the same amount of wealth as 90% of the Americans. And uh, the cost of living is, has been skyrocketing, right? Uh, the healthcare, uh, the college education, it's all just so ridiculously high. And then the U.S. is just stuck in perpetual war. It's just one war after another, and it's the same boring excuse about how some country, some leader is so evil, and America has to go spread freedom and democracy. And then they waste trillions of dollars while nothing happens in the U.S. And uh, the country is so polarized. Uh, uh, people are just uh, stuck either in uh, uh, the left bubble or uh, uh, the right bubble, and there's no uh, leader to uh, bring the people together. And people have no idea about what is coming, right? They think that America is going to be number one forever. They don't have an idea about uh, BRICS, uh, de-dollarization and uh, the possible end of uh, the American century. So uh, uh, we need someone who, who thinks outside the box, who's brave, and who can uh, bring some uh, fresh ideas. And I think uh, Dr. Shiva and I be one of them. So we're so uh, glad to have him. And we will spend the next uh, one hour or so uh, chatting with him. And we'll ask him a lot of uh, questions about his uh, policies, his ideas, his prescriptions for uh, uh, the ailments. And then if we have some time, we'll take uh, uh, questions from the audience as well. Uh, so Dr. Shiva, I, I think you are on uh, mute. Can you uh, so talk about it? Well, I think, look, here's the main point, and um, let me just share with you um, a very, very important piece of data that'll add why I'm the only one qualified to be president of the United States at this time. If you look, there's a very simple graph that we have on flyers that we distribute content, and that graph 
goes from about 1970, 1980 till today. And it's a graph of the United States life expectancy. And what that graph shows, Kantan, is since that period, the life expectancy in the United States is going upside down. And the vax, anti-vax argument tries to blame this on vaccines, which it is, it is not what it is. It is a systemic issue, a systems issue that has been going on since starting in policies that were started by John Kennedy, who was not that nice of a guy, by the way, who was an imperialist. Starting in 1960s, policies were implemented, which came to fruition in 1970 and started manifesting in 1980, where the United States life expectancy has been going down. Okay, so if you have a child today in the United States, your child will have a shorter lifespan than you. And I'm the only presidential candidate content talking about this. Why? Because I represent the everyday working people in this country who came bottoms up. None of these other candidates will discuss this. And the reason is very simple. They know that the reason that has occurred is that since the 1980s, 1970s till today, who has been in power? Celebrities, Democrats, Republicans, left, right. And they have all contributed to the destruction of the American lifespan. If there's one key performance indicators, are you going to live long, right? Live long and prosper. Um, and if you look at that graph, that literally shows that behind that simple line chart is something quite profound. It's not any one issue. It's the income inequality. It's the incredible amount of stress the average American is under. And as a systems biologist, I can tell you that stress destroys your immune system. It, it affects aging, um, the environmental toxins, right? The pollutants. But again, these are relatively one piece of a much larger puzzle, which is a healthcare system in the United States is destroyed. There is no relationship a, a individual can have with their doctors. They see their doctors for 15 minutes, the food systems, et cetera. So this is a systems problem. And to think that you're going to vote for left or right, the lesser of two evils nonsense, and solve this very fundamental systemic thing literally shows that it's a level of insanity if you're going to continue with that. And I'm the only candidate, if you look at my background, my achievements, the fact that I have had to solve problems my entire life, systems problems. And we're looking at a fundamental systems problem. And the systems problem is the elites. We need a systems overhaul. And if you look at every candidate who gets on the stage, they attempt to mimic as though they're anti-establishment, literally steal my words, Kantan, you know, especially this guy I call Vivek the Snake or Booby Kennedy, um, Trump included. All of these people, the establishment has enough data gathering right now, surveillance in the extent they watch conversations, the AI algorithms. I mean, these algorithms have been around since 1960 to 70. I used to write a lot of them, but it's not that difficult to gather a lot of data with computing. And you can predict the sentiment of people globally, nationally, et cetera. And they know that people are tired and they're looking for serious alternatives. So the deception that's taking place is you have the obvious establishment, you know, the Clintons, the Bushes, you know, the standard guard. But the real devils are the not so obvious establishment because they know that I've been out there. We've been getting a lot of traction. You know, about a half a billion people came to know about my work in 2020 when we exposed Fauci, when we exposed the election issues in the United States, when we exposed the backdoor portal to Twitter. I did all that work, hard work, and I have to get the rightful credit in which we people know. So they have to make me invisible on the one hand, which is not working, and then they have to create these fictitious characters who mimic my words, 
and it will act like they're anti-establishment content. So this is the double level of deceptions that's taking place. So that's why the conversation we're having today with independent podcasters is explosively growing because people are saying, wait a minute, this guy is the one who has the qualifications, Dr. Shiva. He's the one who told us what to do in the lockdowns in 2020, why Booby Kennedy and Trump were promoting lockdowns. He's the one who said he fought against them. He gave us the data. He, you know, in, I know in India, hundreds of millions of people got my solutions for vitamin D3, quercetin, all these things. We saved many, many people's lives. So I've always been right there telling the truth at the right time, not when it is convenient, like I call him fucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson, if I can curse, that, and these people need to be cursed at. All of these grifters, there's a whole set of grifters right now who act like they're anti-establishment, but they are created by the swarm, as I call it, to manipulate people to think that one of the lesser of two evils is going to solve the problem. And when you really look at the life expectancy and then you layer in the income inequality, you know, you know, 600 billionaires in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, increase their wealth by 2.3 trillion. Since 1970 till today, $50 trillion has been taken from the first and second lowest income quartile and has been sent to the elites. And no one wants to talk about income inequality because it is a fundamental thing that systemically affects many, many things your biology, your stress, gun violence is really caused by income inequality. We can have a longer conversation about that. But if you think about this and you look at my life, which has been the American dream, coming bottoms up, working for everything I have, building actually innovations, not cheating people like this guy Vivek or Trump or Kennedy. These people are all cheaters. They don't even follow the rules. They're all people who come from above with golden plated toilet seats, right? or with billion dollar trust funds or scamming people, none of these people have ever created something, have ever had to really struggle, have ever had to really solve a problem. The average American has to do that every day. And that's what I've had to do. And so my life is a reflection of the American people. It is the real American people that who built this country who are being diminished and attacked every day by these fake people. So if there's anyone who should be president, it's me. I mean regardless of the degrees I have, have at MIT, regardless of all the achievements I've made, I represent, if anything, I reflect the, the spirit of the founders of this country in reality, not just in words, just me saying that. So you can look at my life from the time I was born till today and all the activities I've been involved in as a scientist, as an engineer, as a fighter for truth, an activist on the ground, none of this you can make up. All of these other people make up stories. They're all bullshitters. And the good news is people are figuring this out in spite of the invisibility that they cause me. Elon Musk is a bullshitter. He's not a fighter for free speech. It is in 2020 that I was the one who exposed the backdoor portal. All the Twitter files, all this stuff does not address the fundamental issue that the government of the United States, the Congress of the United States is completely compromised. They're owned by Zionists on one hand, and they're owned by Silicon Valley. And they unanimously, and we'll come back to this in 2016, voted for the creation of the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, which has essentially destroyed the First Amendment in this country, which is what made America what it is. And it was signed into law by Donald Trump. So the right says, oh, the left is doing this. Nah, the left and the right have both colluded against the American people. And that's what we're at. And the facts are so obvious. So. Right now, what you see is that the 
establishment is extremely desperate. Typically, Kanthan, they typically have their chosen bullshitter, right? On the left, it's Bernie Sanders or Trump. Now they don't know who to choose. And it's directly a result of the fact that our movement, Truth, Freedom, Health, our campaign has been literally creating the movement that has not existed, not only in the United States, for that matter, in humanity, which is really advancing people's consciousness that nothing is going to change in the world without a systems level understanding, which we teach people, and nothing is gonna change unless the 8 billion people on this planet start electing moving leaders that come from them, not from the swarm. So there's no one else qualified as and everyone knows this. This is why they have to make me invisible, but that's why I appreciate what we're doing, Kanthan, because they can try as hard as they want, but it's becoming very, very difficult for them because millions and millions of people are getting the word out on uh, on their own on the ground as you know offline as I say plus also online. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, uh, fully agree with uh, uh, the problems that you have stated, and it's just you know, and like you said, it's uh, the problem with uh, the system, you know, and if you don't change uh, the system, then uh, people just uh, blame this or another, you know. And you uh, listen to uh, the politicians, they say the same thing over and over, you know, like you uh, go back to uh, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's always the same message, you know, oh, what guy is uh, going to go and uh, change Washington, D.C., he's going to fight for the people, and then nothing happens and then you ask americans you know what that uh, the left will make the right that right will make the left and uh, but nothing gets solved so uh suppose if you get like uh, what would be uh, the top five that you would focus on in the first year well let's 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 go deeper into this question okay um i don't you know because look a person like me getting elected would be a revolutionary event that took place, Kunthan, okay? And in order for a revolution like that to happen, you need a movement. So I just want to talk about this, okay? Because a presidency in the United States is corrupt, the legislature is corrupt, and the judiciary is corrupt. They're all corrupt. So what should come out of this talk is we want to go down to the root cause here. And everything I discuss, we go to the root cause. We're not here to bullshit people and ask standard president's questions, you know? What am I going to do when I get elected? Let's talk about the fundamental issue. We are creating not only a U.S. movement, but a global movement. We have about a half a million people, half a billion people know about our movement. We have a half a million people distributed all over the world. But what we're fundamentally educating people on is we live in a world of complex systems. And if you don't understand the complexity of systems, and you don't have the knowledge of systems, it's as bad as not knowing in the 19th century, right? Or 18th century, sorry, 20, early 20, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Those were fundamentals. If you didn't know reading, writing, arithmetic, you were screwed. Well, in the modern world, if you don't have an understanding how systems operate, you're screwed. One of my mentors, Jay Forrester, who died at about 99 years old, he was a professor in MIT 93, he wanted to teach systems thinking the kindergarten level. Now, what is systems thinking? Systems thinking is a field of engineering science that really came out in the late uh, or mid, uh, sorry, early 1900s, really came into fruition in the 1950s. 
It is what should be taught to every man, woman, and child. And we're already starting to do that, Kanthan. So why is systems level understanding important? Because it teaches people to think beyond left and right, think beyond a dialectic, think beyond pro and anti, to look at a situation, to look at an individual, to look at any, your body as a system, anything, and come to understand what is the root cause of an issue. Now, engineers have to do this every day, Kanthan, or we're out of business. Plumbers have to do this. An electrician has to do this. A mother has to do this. But lawyers and politicians do not need to have to do this. They can bullshit their way. And in the modern world, without the systems level understanding, we're going to be essentially more and more enslaved. Now, the 10 or 100,000 people, 10,000, 20,000 of the elites who advise all the leaders of the country, I used to educate some of them. You know, I used to, was a, you know, I used to teach at MIT. I ran the most popular course on system science at MIT. And I realized that this knowledge of systems, the elites learned, George Soros understands it, Kissinger knew it. And they use this very fundamental understanding to manipulate the other 8 billion people. So this is how a small set of people I call the swarm are able to manipulate 8 billion people. And anyone listening to this, you should go to shattertheswarm.com and watch that 15 minute video. It's 50 years of knowledge in 15 minutes explained that a child could understand, but you will really understand the actual systemic problem and who is running the world and that they are very, very aware. So what that history also shows from a systems level, historical systems understanding is that the only way that the world has ever changed has been through mass movements. And what is a movement now? It's not like Trump saying I'm running a movement or Bernie Sanders. It is a movement of consciousness. You don't need everyone, but enough people understanding the system's dynamic that we have to think beyond left and right, that we have to build a movement. And so if you look at the United States and for that matter, India and every other country starting the late 1800s and the early 1900s at the turn of the uh, century, between the agriculture industrial era, um, there was massive abuse of everyday working people. Massive, right? Children were working in factories. People were working 20-hour workdays. There was really no infrastructure, right? Uh, clean water, clean, uh, basic stuff. So in the late 1800s, in 1886 in the United States, many Americans don't even know about this content, is that um, you, you uh, people listening, if they're throughout the world, may know in every country in the world today, May 1st is called International Workers' Day. Well, where did that start? Oh, it was a communist holiday. Well, not true. 18, 1886, four American workers were hanged, hanged to death in the United States, fighting for the eight-hour workday in Haymarket, Chicago. And in that same year, I believe the year later, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, seven American workers were gunned down by the National Guard fighting for the eight-hour workday. And all most American children, most American adults definitely do not know this, that between 1886 to the early 1920s was what's called a great upheaval. Millions of people took to the street in the United States, black, white, people of all colors, fighting for basic rights. And it was that movement put the fear of God into the elites, a racist, prick like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who is who is mistakenly taught to the American people that as though he is a person, you know, the New Deal, right? That he stood for the working class. Bullshit. He was a racist individual who didn't care about everyday people, but a gun was put, quote unquote, a gun was put to his head by this massive 
movement of the American workers. And because the United States did not want to have a revolution, they threw some bones. We'll give you Medicare. We'll eliminate child labor. Okay. Um, but just to get back in 1886, when those workers were shot, throughout the world, every American worker honored those workers and they named it May Day content. That's where it comes from. Now, in the United States, May Day is not celebrated after Reagan came and he changed it to Law Day. So there has been a systematic process of psychological operations. And this is what everyone needs to understand. The psychological operations by the left and the right, Republican, Democrat, by the elites in the United States has been done systematically to make sure the American working people do not understand their power so they never build those movements again. And how did that happen? Well, the American working class, by the way, these movements were led by women. I live in Massachusetts here. About 20 miles from here is a place called Lowell, Massachusetts. It used to be called the Manchester of uh, the United States, something like Coimbatore in India, okay? And it was there that they had all the mills. They brought in technology from actually Manchester, probably all of India, you know? And women rose up massive strikes okay and it was the power of the women's uh women rising up working class women men that they won all these basic rights if you're an american worker today and you have even medicare or social security that wasn't done by franklin delano roosevelt or the freaking kennedys or the democrats or republicans it was done by people's names who you do not know and they want you to forget those people so by the 1950s what happened Kunpin, is that the elite said, shit, we can never, ever have this happen again. Because, you know, they, they were forced to give people a lot of concessions. And by the 1950s, a guy called Joseph McCarthy comes on the scene, out of Wisconsin, by the way, a senator. By the way, where they butchered those seven American workers fighting for the eight-hour workday. And what McCarthy does, backed by the elites, he brands all of these American workers' movements as communists being run out of Russia content, okay? The Red Scare. And concomitantly to that, what ends up happening is the left, the mafia, the left liberals are take over these truly organic bottoms-up trade unions, which were truly organic. They take over those unions. And so by 1970, the entire true bottoms-up union movement in the United States was destroyed and the left and the right collaborated completely. So let me give you some numbers. Between 1900 to 1970, nearly 200 million people were on the streets in 11,000 strikes content, okay? Keep that number. And during that period is when the United States GDP grew and everyone's wages, particularly the first and second working class income quartiles grew. That means the, the American pie grew and everyone's wages grew. Does that make sense? And that was directly attributed to these very powerful movements, which kept the elites in check. They said, shit, we better not fuck around or we're going to be out of business. But it was, you know, you had uh, people returning back from World War II. These were hardworking workers, men and women who were responsible for their lives. They did not give one inch. They fought. But after 1970, in those 20 years, from 1950 to 70, the elites had done this red scare and then 
the so-called liberal Democrats took over the unions. And between 1970 till today, there's only been 900 strikes in the United States, maybe 2 million people. And you know what's happened between 1970 to today? And by the way, you guys can go check this out. There was a very powerful mathematical deep analysis done by the Rand Corporation, um, which goes through this between 1970 till today. The first and second income quartiles, their wages have gone down every year, Compton. And if you add up, if you do the integral, you know, the area under the curve of those wages, it comes to close to $47 trillion. So we have two American pies. One is which is very small and one for the elites, the Elon Musk's and the Jeff Bezos, et cetera. So $47 trillion in wealth was transferred. Yes, there was socialism for the Donald Trump's, you know, uh, all those people you see up on this Republican and Dem Democrat stage. And that's what's taken place. So why am I saying this? And why, and this relates to why I'm running for president. The only way the world changes for the large masses of people is when people are conscious of their citizenry and we build these bottoms up movements that put the fear of God, not only in the obvious establishment, but in the not so obvious establishment. So since 1950, what has happened is they know there will be leaders like me, Kantin, true leaders. So what they've done is they create fake versions of me, fake versions of Malcolm X, a Martin Luther King, a Gandhi, okay? In the United States, you see all of them lined up right now. Booby Kennedy, he comes from an organized crime family, but they try to make as though he's fighting for medical freedom. The guy's a complete piece of shit. Trump, you know, Trump comes where Obama left off. 57% of people voted for Trump, voted for Obama. So Obama was created as a Manchurian candidate. And so was Trump. And the MAGA people got used. The American white working class, they needed to move from a black guy to a white guy. And what did Trump do? He printed $8 trillion. He did Operation Warp Speed. He didn't fire Fauci. He supported Zionism. He brings back Jerusalem. By the way, the data is out there, which, is, which has already been brought out. Trump was, yes, there was no Russian hoax. Trump was put into power by Netanyahu and Israel. Very well documented by investigative reporting um, in, and it's in the FBI records. So what we have is the American working class is being completely abused by theater. And the good news is, Kantan, that I'm here. So what would I do as president? Not that different than what I'm doing right now, Kantan. I would do Twitter spaces like this, Kantan, but to 8 billion people or 800 million people, you see? And we would be educating people that they need to build bottoms up movements. Now, the policies that I would speak about would not be speaking, but my policies would be done in real time. So if people go to our, you know, every Thursdays, I do two town halls. There are a lot of work, you know, it's typically a 20 hour day. And in those town halls, we do a six part rotation every week. We've actually been doing this now for 24 weeks, right? So one Thursday, we will take healthcare content. And what is our solution for healthcare? I can talk about GPOs and PBNs, and I know all about the corruption of the system. You know, patients don't can't see their doctors for 15 minutes. But the ultimate thing is people need to recognize that the government is not going to do anything for your health care. The ultimate issue is what is health? Go down to the fundamentals. And you're talking to someone who's considered one of the leading guys in the immune system. I've been studying health from the Indian traditional perspective and the Western perspective. I've won every major award you can think about as a systems biologist. I've published in the leading journals. You know, I got invited by the National Science Foundation to give the lecture in 2019 on the immune system. But if you want to be a healthy person, let's rip away all the layers and go down to the bottom line. Aging, 
If you want to live long and healthy, aging is directly related to your immune system. Now, none of these presidential candidates come and don't even know, can't even explain this to everyday people, much less even know about this. But what's happened is over the last 30 years, we know that if you want to live long and prosper, which is reduce, you know, you know, lengthen your lifespan, but live strong, you have to have a resilient immune system. And what has happened between 1960 and today, and John Kennedy was responsible for this, created the 1962 Vaccination Act, and then his brother who protected pharma companies, Ted Kennedy, and then also now Booby. The issue is real health comes from you as the individual taking responsibility for your health. This is in the preventative area and recognizing that you have to protect the immune system. So what we do, Compton, is on Thursdays, we did it two Thursdays ago, we teach people what is the immune system. And I make it accessible. You don't have to have an MIT PhD. In fact, the knowledge that you get, most Harvard Medical School doctors don't even know, which they're not trained in this. They're actually, most of them are trained just to, you know, um, you know, they can be all robotized, by the way. But we teach people what is the immune system. Uh, they just do uh, the pills for yeah. Yeah, and and exactly. And people need to understand. Look, I grew up in a small village, at least a third of my time in India when I was young, and I saw my grandmother practice the traditional systems of Indian medicine, which take a whole systems approach. Now she didn't have any degrees. She had tattoos all over her arm. She'd been trained by siddhars and yogis when she was a child but she was a village shaman. She would look at your face, your eyes. She would get a systemic understanding of you and she prescribed different modalities for you. It was the right medicine for the right person at the right time. Now it's taken Western medicine 2003 to figure this out. It's called precision and personalized medicine. And my journey has been to understand why those systems of medicine work, link it to engineering system science. And I've created a whole program. We've trained thousands of doctors on a completely different way to look at the body for that matter, anyone. So Hippocrates said, he who is not his own doctor is a fool. So we got to rip away the layers and get down to the thing, you know, expect, except for crisis care. You know, the situation where God, God forbid you get in a car accident or something like that. Western medicine, which really came out of wartime medicine is excellent. And you can probably do that for a couple hundred bucks a month, maximum. But the preventative piece comes down to the immune system. So if you can concentrate on boosting the immune system and creating a resilient immune system, you're going to live long and prosper. Now, the policies of the establishment are everything to destroy the immune system. So think about what I'm saying. A policy that the establishment does affects your biology. When they did lockdowns, it affected oxidative stress in your body. And I could show you that. It affected inflammation in your body. It turned off the autophagy genes in your body, which clean up your body. It influenced many subsystems in your body. You see, a Political system of decision-making affected your biology. Lockdowns, which is what occurred. Lockdowns in the United States, people got more depressed. Depression screws up many, many of these pathways. Loneliness. You know, the number one reason people live long, I was just in a, a big conference in Sardinia where the people live the longest. Sardinia, you can look it up, it is an island off the coast of um, Italy. The highest per capita of centenarians are in Sardinia. Number one reason they live long, Kantan, you know why? Community, friendships, they're not lonely, okay? And there's enough data now that's come from the work of Stephen Cole, which shows that when you isolate someone, 
your body turns off. Your body is actually an amazing pharmaceutical factory. It'll turn off antiviral mechanisms and turn on inflammatory markers, which are not good. But when you have friendships, security, community, I'm not saying people should go smoke and drink and you know in excess, but that actually becomes secondary. So the number one reason people live long is community, friendship, social relationships. And what did we do during COVID? We destroyed that. Number two is hard physical labor, sunshine. And what did we do during COVID? We destroyed that. Number three was every culture typically drank some local or had fermented foods, okay? So we teach people this. So whether I'm president or not, we're already helping people. And I already saved probably about 100 million people's lives throughout the world with the work I did with vitamin D3 quercetin. We didn't charge a cent content. People like Zelenko stole my stuff and they bottled it. I never charged anything. So the bottom line is you look at my record on the immune system, what we've done, we've already saved millions and millions of people's lives. But here, what we're saying is the government ain't going to do shit for you. They're corrupt. So it would be so wrong of me to say, when I get into government, I'm going to do this content. Bullshit. What I am going to do is I will use a bully pulpit of that microphone of the White House, and I will do what I'm doing right now as I'm doing with you, content. But we will reach a couple hundred or billion people. You follow what I'm saying? But healthcare, we have a solution, which is if you want to ultimately look at it, you put responsibility on the individual direct what's called DPC, where direct patient to consumer. There's a whole movement developing now where doctors do not want to go through insurance. They say, look, pay me 50 to 70 bucks. I will be your primary care. I'm only going to take on a finite number of patients. It's not concierge medicine. And you pay a little bit for crisis care. That's the future of medicine, but it demands that the individual learn how to take care of their body. None of these presidential candidates know how to take care of their body or can teach people in 30 minutes to one hour, the principles of how to take care of their body, which integrates Eastern and Western medicine. So that's the real solution. Now, which presidential candidate will even talk about that content and can articulate that in 15 minutes? They can't, because they're a bunch of fucking morons who are owned, operated by either Zionism or owned by Silicon Valley or big pharma companies. So they have no interest in helping healthcare. They want to keep they want to do little tweaks and, and the life expectancy is going to keep going down and down. And for the elites, you know, they'll eat their organic food. They'll have their bio, you know, available farms. You know, Trump doesn't eat McDonald's all day. Go to his restaurant, you know, on 64th or 63rd Street in John George's. It is pasture raised, wonderful organic food. OK, so everyone should get out of the sink. Trump, Trump, Trump. Trump is an actor. I've met him multiple times. He wanted to be an actor. He's a tool. He has no friends. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. He will bring in morons to run it because he just wants to play like he's a billionaire. Play acting, okay? He's owned and operated by Zionism. Now, number one, so my number one policy is healthcare. We're going to teach people education. And that's what I will do. We're already doing it. Everyone listening, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. every day. Every Thursdays, you can come free. How much? Nothing. This is not like a Deepak Chopra talk on, on then give me, give me $2,500. You know, I'll teach you how to meditate. We already do this, okay? Free. Number two, let's talk about the environment. The physical environment. It's not climate change. It's completely, that entire climate scam is a complete scam. And if you want, I can go into the fundamental issue is when you look at the environment, we have to engage people at the local level to start supporting local farmers, because that's when they start learning what to put in their mouth. 
Most young people today go to the colleges, go to cafeterias, drive down any road in Main Street in the United States. You can't get good food. It's all garbage. All of it's garbage. Okay. Now, why is that? Why is it garbage? And meanwhile, you have lots of small farmers who work very hard. That's who we should support. So we educate people every Thursdays. So it's not a bourgeois thing how to go shop locally. And then we teach people about genetically engineered foods. I did some of the earliest research on this, you know, exposing that. Yesterday, we, we talked about energy, but we are giving people practical solutions. So they start supporting and honoring local food, supporting local farmers. And that's where the change is going to come from. Because we know Monsanto, Hillary Clinton, Booby Kennedy, by the way, who supported Hillary Clinton, who's a big Monsanto freak. All the big farms are producing crap food. Go, go try to even smell an apple, cunt, and it doesn't have any smell anymore. The foods don't have any taste. They're devoid of nutrients. You would have to eat 50 oranges to get the same amount of vitamin C as you did with one orange about 50, 60 years ago. Okay? So we have to go down to fundamentals. So we are teaching people that. So if you want to improve your health and, and understand the environment, start understanding this. Third, let's talk about education. Well, the students don't learn how to think. They learn what to think, okay? The educational system is the parents in bougie families get consultants. They pay thirty dollars to $50,000 so their kids can get it to MIT, Harvard, Yale. That wasn't the way it was when I was young. My parents had no, no money. Something. I had to actually work hard. Now, rich, dumb kids are getting into big universities. And after they get into these universities, 80, 90% of them are very depressed because they don't even know why they're there. So you don't have an educational, and this happens all over the world. You have an educational system that is about getting into the good school, and that's it. And all the things, the racketeering people have to pay, play, they learn how to be criminals at a young age. So we're not teaching our kids how to think. And how to think begins with a systems training. So we are actually doing that content. We teach people that. We give it away. And if people want to go deeper, we charge a little bit. But it's something that it's a learn, teach, and serve model. People learn, they teach, and they serve. Let's now talk about innovation. We should talk about the invention of email. Yes. To, you know, I am the guy who invented email. And I did it when I was 14 years old. Now, the facts of this aren't even, they're not even, you know, gray. It's black and white. As a 14-year-old kid working in Newark, New Jersey, one of the poorest cities in the United States in a small medical college, I was a young kid who worked his butt off, worked his butt off, and I converted the entire old-fashioned inter-office mail system, which was a very complex system. We're not talking about the simple exchange of text messages into the electronic version and 50,000 lines of code, 50,000 lines of Fortran code in 8K of memory. And I named that system email, wrote all the code, named it, and then got the first United States copyright at a time when that was the only way to protect software inventions. This is before I came to MIT content. Like TV was invented by a 14-year-old kid, email was invented by me, a 14-year-old kid, before I came to MIT. I never talked about it. I was taught to be a good, humble Indian kid. It was only in 2011 when Time Magazine wrote an article after they reviewed all the materials that went into the Smithsonian, and it created a racist, a racist controversy started by a bunch of racist historians and people of the military-industrial complex even though I'd won every award at MIT in many, many areas, was on the front page, they couldn't withstand the fact that email was done before I came to MIT. And this had to be obliterated. I fought back. I won a major lawsuit. They were forced to remove three defamatory articles. And 
you know, I got about a million bucks. Wikipedia, you know, which is another racist organization, destroyed my work. But the bottom line is, why am I sharing the story? Because innovation, you don't need to go to MIT to innovate. You don't need to go to IIT. You don't need to go to Silicon Valley. Great innovations occur at the edges with very little money about everyday people solving extraordinary problems. And that's what I did. I had great respect for these women who were secretaries. They used to do carbon copies and the inbox and the outbox and folders. And I learned all these features of this inner office mail system. And I put it into the electronic form when old white guys at the time thought this was impossible. And these women were dumb, actually. So they had no interest in doing that. They were doing simple exchange of text messages. But the bottom line is there are seven elements of innovation. We teach that to people. We teach young kids. We mentor them. And the reason the United States had this greatness was, you know, 30, 40,000 businesses one time came out of MIT, which created $2 trillion in value to the GDP. Well, that's not occurring anymore. Innovation is not great, right? We don't produce major innovations because the cost of innovation, which is controlled by a few private equity firms and, and a few uh, VCs, are controlling innovation like genetically engineering and innovation like genetically engineering crops. So they say, oh, you create a center of innovation at IIT, a center of innovation at MIT. And after these nerds go there, they are anointed. They could drop out, that's cool, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, but surely a 14-year-old dark-skinned Indian kid should not be inventing email, you say? So we educate people, the elements of innovation, because the innovation can actually occur anytime, anyplace by anybody. That's a model of innovation. You don't need, we have to stop giving all of these tax breaks to these large private equity venture capital firms because they're not doing any great innovation. It's a bunch of insider trading. And you saw that content with this jackass, Vivek the Snake, a Manchurian guy who comes out of nowhere. And look what he did. Was this innovation? What he does, what does he do? He goes among his click friends out of Harvard, raises 5 million content, and uses that 5 million to go to GlaxoSmithKline. Remember, this guy's not innovating. He hasn't done the research. He doesn't know anything about molecular systems. He goes, takes that money and goes to GlaxoSmithKline, which has a drug which has failed not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. A failed neuro neurology drug that was supposedly going to solve Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. And everyone can look this up. What's incredible is no fucking mainstream media guy brings this out because it's theater. The election fraud is already taking place by who gets to be on the stage. Anyway, this fool takes his $5 million that he got from his friends and goes, buys this drug company and puts it into a company called Axovant. Okay, he knows it's a useless drug. Then gets his mother, gets even worse, gets his mother who went through the Indian medical school systems, right? And gets his mother to write a poster paper. And let me, let me just tell you, for those of you who are scientists, you may know there's three levels of real credibility in a scientific paper. One is you get it into a major peer reviewed journal, you present it at a major conference, a platform session, which is very hard. Or as an undergraduate kid, you do these poster sessions, Kanthan, where you go to a conference, it's for kids basically. And they give you a little board and you put up a poster. Well, his mother presents a poster session taking data, clinical data, from one of those failed clinical trials, throws, it's called a completer analysis, throws out all the data where people didn't finish a clinical trial. 
and then says, oh, this is a great, it's a, it's a successful drug. He takes that poster data. I can't even believe the shit is going on, right? Then gets to put on NBC, whatever that guy, Kramer, and says, oh, I have a drug that's going to cure Alzheimer's. They take this company public, knowing it's a useless drug. And, you know, cash is out about 40 million bucks. And then does a clinical trial with phase three. And knowing it's going to crash, the company's stocks drop 99% and then shuts it down. Now, tell me, why isn't this guy in fucking jail? How is this innovation? This is called financial engineering. And this guy overnight is on every major talk show. And people say, oh, you're jealous. I'm not jealous. I want to get this guy in a boxing room with me because no one ever taught him a lesson about to be a good human being. They taught him how to be a scam artist. And so these people who run the world today think you and I are stupid, Kuntin, that they're so smarter because they were able to do this financial engineering. That's not innovation, man. That's called being a scam artist, a car salesman. Now let's talk about governance. You know, ethics used to be taught at one time. Ethics. It's not taught anymore. The level of the corruption of leaders is quite extraordinary. And I know this face to face. Many of you know, if you're from India, I was a guy when I went back to India on my Fulbright, I was appointed by the Prime Minister of India to run the largest innovation center, CSIR. And they gave me beautiful bungalows, you know, everything you could imagine. But I exposed the corruption in the Indian scientific system under death threats. I was evicted from my home. I had to leave India on a third class train up to Nepal and came home. And I wrote an article called Innovation De Demands Freedom, Why America Innovates and India May Never, okay? And that CSIR system is still corrupt. It's a feudal system left over from colonialism. There's incredible scientists in India, but they can never advance. Gobind Karana being one of them, he couldn't even get a lecturer job in India. He had to come to the United States. So India has a feudalism. Now, coming to the United States, back here, what's fundamentally happened with governance is the entire Congress of the United States is completely corrupt. And why do I say that? When 2020, when I ran for United States Senate, we won that election on a landslide. In, in Massachusetts, in the hand-counted paper ballot county of Franklin County, we won by 10 points. We had 3,000 volunteers on the ground, 25,000 lawn signs. We ran as Republicans in the Republican primary. The Republican GOP ran a fool against me. He didn't even have one lawn sign up. Maybe raised $200,000. We raised $2 million. We were everywhere. By all account, everyone said Dr. Shiva has won this race on a landslide. Well, the results come in on September 1st, 2020. And what do they show? I win in the county in Massachusetts where no machines are used. It's all hand-counted paper ballots, Kuntin. And in every other county, 60-40, where the machines were used, and I was the one who discovered in 2020, the machines have a feature called a weighted race feature, where if you get a thousand votes, Compton, and I get a thousand, it has a feature built into the machine. Your votes can get multiplied by 2.0 and mine, let's say by 0.5. And I can tell you why these features exist. They shouldn't. And I had to do the job on my own to then file what you would call a FOIA request. And the because every time a ballot goes in these machines, after it's scanned, it creates an image. And any one of you who are nerds, the image is what is used by the machines, by the AI and the machine to calculate the votes. So I said, I want the images. According to a federal law called 52 USC 20701, 
All records in connection with the federal election must be preserved for 22 months. The government of Massachusetts boldly says to me, we have it on video, we deleted those images. We don't have to preserve them. They documented that in email interactions. I put that up on Twitter, saying the government of Massachusetts deleted 1.5 million ballot images. This election is null and void. I'm thrown off Twitter, never been thrown off. This is in 2020 content. I had to sue the, the government. No lawyer wanted to take it on because most of the lawyers in Massachusetts, lawyers in general are pussies. They do not want to take the government on. I had to do that in federal court. I'm not a lawyer. I took on three Harvard lawyers in October of 2020. All the transcripts are there. And I was the one to expose the fact long before this limited hangout you saw with Fucker Carlson and Elon Musk that the government has built a backdoor portal into Twitter, into all social media companies. That was my lawsuit. Okay. And none of these guys covered it. And what we discovered was on November 16th, 2018, the Congress of the United States passed a law. And everyone listen carefully, the Congress of the United States passed a law to bridge freedom of speech. They created the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, which allowed government to surveil and censor US citizens under the pretext that they were gonna use it for foreign adversaries. And it was done at Harvard, it was funded by the Atlantic Council of the UK and supported by many foreign intelligence agencies. My lawsuit discovered that. We blew the whistle. Half a billion people came to know about it, about it, of people like Tucker Carlson, Glenn Greenwald, ACLU, all actors. They concealed it. And then I went and discovered the actual playbooks that were created at Harvard University in May of 2021. This lawsuit was getting very hot. It was me against seven lawyers then. And the judge wanted me to compromise. He said, basically, they wanted to bribe me. We're going to put you back on Twitter. You're going to be a hero. This is 2021. But drop all your lawsuits against the government. I refuse to do that. And then they started threatening me, Kantin. And that's when I realized that the judiciary in this country is completely corrupt. But recently, on December 4th, two days after my 60th birthday, we've brought that lawsuit back and we're going right after the government. And I'm gonna do it myself this time because when I did it myself, I won. By the way, I probably have more litigation experience than 95% of the lawyers in the United States. Most lawyers do not fight anymore, they settle. So why am I telling that to you? Because the Congress, the first branch of the government of the United States, which was created in 1787, which was enacted the first branch, which is supposed to represent the people and the first amendment, Write this down, everyone, because you've probably forgotten it. What is the First Amendment? It says Congress shall pass no law to bridge freedom of speech. Everyone hear that? Congress shall pass no law to bridge freedom of speech. Congress, those 400, 500 people are not allowed to pass any laws to bridge freedom of speech. What happened on November 16, 2018? Congress passed a law by the creation of CISA to bridge freedom of speech. Who is Congress? Well, 80, 90% of congressmen get money from the Zionist APAC. They're controlled by Israel. And then they also get a shitload of money, all the Republicans, most of them, from Silicon Valley. So this is a deal that took place. Congress, who's compromised, they're all Epstein, okay? Foreign governments never liked the First Amendment. They own these Congress people. And nothing I'm saying is hyperbolic. You can look it up yourself. Just go 
Google right now, Republicans funded by Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley needs high valuations for their software social media platforms. So Silicon Valley goes to Congress and says, please give us Section 230 immunity so we don't get sued if someone posts something on Twitter. So they got Section 230 immunity, which increased the valuation of a social media company by 10x, okay? And Congress, which is compromised, also in return put backdoor connections into all social media companies so they could surveil US citizens. So everyone listening, the Congress of the United States is completely compromised. And I'm the only one calling that out. Compromise at such a level that federal officials in the United States, content and everyone listening, cannot be sued, cannot be sued if they violate the Constitution. Let me repeat that again. Think of how absurd this is. A federal official, an FBI agent, a congressional official, anyone who works for the U.S. government can violate the Constitution, which they're sworn to uphold, but you cannot sue them for violating the Constitution. You can sue a state actor, but not a federal actor. In 1960s, 70s, there was a very important case called Bivens, where a person's home was attacked by federal officials. And it was a very landmark case. And the Supreme Court ruled, well, you can go sue, you can get restitution when you go after a federal actor who violated the Constitution. But after 1983, after Reagan came into power, they don't apply that precedent. So Congress is completely, every federal official in the United States can fucking violate the First Amendment and nothing happens to them. So tell me, Kunthan, we have a two-tier, two-class system in the United States. How is this different than royalty? And guess who signed SISA into law on November 16, 2018? Fucking Donald Trump. Make America great, Donald Trump. Drain the swamp, Donald Trump. Okay? So we have a serious governance issue. Everyone, so when people say, why do you attack everyone? Because they're all criminals. The only people I trust is the working people, and that's where we're mobilizing a movement. And then finally on the economy content, let me finish up with that. The average American right now is lucky if they have $400 in their bank account for a, a savings, for savings, okay, on a rainy day. Think about that, $400. And these people are being bamboozled by Trump and Kennedy and all these rich boys. Please give me money. Think about the psychological manipulation that's taking place for a guy with $400, a poor guy somewhere in the Midwest writing out a check for fucking Donald Trump or sending money to Booby Kennedy. Think about the manipulation that these people are under. $400. So what do we teach? Come to our open house. We teach people what is a balance sheet? What is a P&L statement? What is cash flow? 90% of small business owners don't even know the difference between these three you know, uh, elements of running anything. So we are doing the work. We're doing God's work, Content. We're teaching and educating people. And my becoming president will be a revolutionary event. And everyone listening to this, you got to recognize that you're fucked right now if you don't elect me as president. And why am I saying that with such confidence? Because look at the data. Your child is going to have a shorter lifespan than you. And this has been brought to you by every one of these criminals, every person in academia, Every person in Hollywood, every person in politics, they are all responsible for this. None of them should, should be ever allowed to have any type of power anymore. They have brought this upon you. And that is where we're at. Your child's lifespan in the United States is going to be less than you if you're an adult. And let that really sink in. 
Let that really, really sink in. And this isn't supposedly the greatest country on the planet. And on top of this content, when we talk about the economy to wrap up, the United States Treasury outsourced the printing of money to the Federal Reserve, which is controlled by Zionists, which control the Wall Street systems. And what they've been doing is the entire U.S. economy is running on fumes. Obama started it in 2008, printed $8.1 trillion. And he was supposed to be saving poor blacks, poor whites. He saved Goldman Sachs. They should have failed. And that printing of money, you know, lasted about eight more years. And they knew it was going to not last. They needed another crisis to cover up the real issue. They needed to print more money. That's why they needed Donald Trump. If elections are selections, Trump was also selected. So Trump comes in, quote unquote, the pandemic. The pandemic is used as a ruse to print another $8.1 trillion. 2.3 trillion of it, which goes to the 600 billionaires on Wall Street. Think about what I'm saying. The United States has become a caste system and it is, does not serve the majority of the American people. And the United States leads the world, as you said, Kantan, as we talked about. It leads NATO, it leads the WEF, all these organizations. So what occurs in the United States affects everyone. And if you look at me and you look at my background, I've been a fighter since I was four years old. You can see me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT when I led one of the biggest protests. I made sure one of my uh, friends from Sri Lanka, when he went back to Sri Lanka, he was jailed by the Sri Lankan fascist government. I made sure he got out. I organized food service workers at MIT. I was the one who protested the war in Iraq during my PhD graduation. I've been a fighter all my life. No one can buy me out because I know where I come from. I come from everyday working people. I come from poor people in Indian villages. I've never forgotten them, Kantan. So if people want to win and they really win, you have no choice but to put me in power and put yourself in power because I'm one of us. So uh, that brings us to uh, the last question. Uh, what are your views on the uh, US uh, foreign policy and uh, the perpetual wars? And uh, how do you view, say, Russia and uh, China? Yeah, look, um, let's, you know, what you're asking, Kantan, is very related to what I just ended in, um, what I ended up talking about the economy. The United States dollar, you know, by and large is still the reserve currency. BRICS is coming up, right? And everyone, I hope, understands that. The reserve currency means that if you want to trade on the global level, you need dollars, okay? And that's, again, starting to change with BRICS coming up. But by and large, that's still true, okay? The United States dollar used to be backed at one time by gold. And then after Nixon came into power, they started backing it with oil. It was called the petrodollar. And now the United States, and it's always been backed by something very, very important. And essentially today, the United States is backed by the United States. It's getting a lot of noise there. I'm not sure what that is. Um, the United States uh, uh, is fundamentally backed not by dollar or the petrodollar. It's backed by something else. It's backed by aircraft carriers and missiles, okay, and nuclear bombs. The United States dollar is backed by F-15s, right? It's backed by aircraft carriers. It's not backed by a real economy anymore. So that's where everything begins. 
and where everything will end. Um, the United States economy is backed by the military might of what the United States has, or that's what it's banked on. And so if you go back to 1948, and this relates to something very relevant today, and if you really, really study it, and you don't be a stupid idiot, like I'm very, very sorry, the motherland I come from, a lot of Indians have been bamboozled to support Zionism. Absolutely dumb. People need to get their heads out of their butts, okay? This is a reality. It, when you look at that region called Palestine, that is a very strategic region. And then when you look at the history of British colonialism and imperialism, Britain knew the value of divide and rule and causing ruckuses. Wherever they went, they would draw random lines of nation states, like they did this in Africa, they did this in India, wherever they went. And they would have people fighting among, among each other on race, religion, anything. And as people were fighting each other, they looted both sides. And so the Brit British imperialists and the US imperialists, you know, starting in early 1900s, they recognized the importance of Palestine. They needed to make that an aircraft carrier for the elites. So that was always in the back of their mind. Now, independent of that, people also know that in Germany specifically, um, everyone was predicting a workers' movement would occur, a massive revolution. Many of the people who are leading those movements were Jewish anti-fascists. Many, many Jewish leaders were ready to fight Hitler. And they were creating a lot of these anti-fascist movements. Zionism, which was also coming, which was a fringe group then, started by a guy called Theodore Herzl. And the reason people need to understand this history is because it's completely related to U.S. foreign policy. Theodore Herzl was an atheist. He created a political ideology, which was closely connected to an eschatological view of Christianity. This Armageddon was going to come, and you know, Jews would return back to Jerusalem, um, you know, reclaim Israel, dot, 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 dot. All bullshit, just made up. Okay. And based on this eschatological view, they created Zionism, manufactured a political ideology, and that political ideology of Zionism collaborated with Nazis. So all of you people out there who are Zionists, and you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist or Hindu Zionist, Muslim Zionist, but majority in the United States, 70 million Christian Zionists, very small fraction of Zionists, uh, relatively are Jewish Zionists. So Zionism, A, is a political ideology. Please say that 20 times and you get that clear. It's a political ideology. In fact, Zionists collaborated with the Nazis in World War II to butcher Jews. Go read about the Warsaw Ghetto Revolts, where Jews were fighting Hitler, and the, and the Zionists collaborated with Nazism. All right, so that's a little bit of history. Now, why is this important? So Zionism was a perfect tool that British and U.S. imperialism used to fuck up everything in Palestine so they could create a ruckus. and the Zionists were their weaponry that they used to essentially create a situation where they could have control of that region. And that is where we are today. And so why is this important? Because the United States, as I put in one of my videos, it was a very harsh video, but it's true. I said, every presidential candidate but me stuck Zionist cock. And I said, this may not sound very presidential, but it is absolutely true. Why is it I'm the only presidential candidate that on October 7th said that if we're gonna give any military aid, it should go to the Palestinian people. I was the only one who did that. 
Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism, period. And if any people have been screwed over, it's the Palestinian people and the Jewish people in Israel. Prior to October 7th, go look at the actual data. Two weeks before that, a half a million people were protesting for the ousters of that butcher Netanyahu. Why is this not reported in the press? Netanyahu and Israel funded Hamas. Allah Qatar, through Qatar. It's all open information because they wanted a fundamentalist group out there, not a secular revolutionary movement, which was there. Many liberation groups. So look, Mossad's slogan is through deception, thou shall do war. Let me repeat that again. This is the ally of the United States, quote unquote ally of the United States elites. Mossad, through deception, thou shalt win war. And the entire world now is under a deceptive force. And that's where we're at. So how do you fight this? Well, first of all, the United States needs a strong leader who will be absolutely anti-Zionist. Number one, not one penny to Israel. If we're going to give military aid, let's go protect the Palestinian people, period. Period. And there are many Jews, at least 20 to 30 percent, who are anti-Zionist. All right. Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism. If you are Jewish and a lot of my friends who are Jewish, you can't be <laughs> you can't be Zionist and say you're pro-Palestinian. That's like saying I'm Nazi and I'm pro-Jewish. Uh, uh. Very clear line. You got to let go of the titty of Zionism. Because as president, we will not support that. And this is why the Congress of the United States, they put in Mike Johnson, a nut job Christian Zionist, quote unquote Christian Zionist, which I think is an oxymoron. And the first proclamation he said, what did he say? We support Israel. We support the butchering of the Palestinians. Next proclamation he said is that we must support Israel to oust Iran. Iran is their own sovereign nation. They're not, they have a right to have nuclear weapons if we do. Come on. So what's happened is Zionism, and by the way, all the evangelical, the big churches company in the United States, the evangelicals, all report literally up to Israel. No kidding. Actually true. So what's happened is Trump riles up these Christian Zionists to serve Israel. That's what he's about. So all of you maggotards out there who are into make America great, you're actually saying make Israel great. You're not America. You're not patriots of America. It's exactly the opposite. And I'm the only candidate who has the understanding of history, the understanding of right and wrong to say this. Booby fucking Kennedy. Go look at all their tweets on October 7th. Israel, support the butchering of the Palestinian people. And even the Indian leaders did that. It's a disgrace. Because what's happened is, just like Brahminism is not Hinduism, Judaism is not Zionism, and surely Christianity is not Nazis. And what's interesting is all of these political ideologies take some religion aspect, so they rile people up and wrap it in to always hating somebody else. And so the foreign policy under my administration will be anti-Zionist through and through and through. We will have close relationships with the Russian people because you know why? Because it is the Russian people who won World War II. Not the American soldiers. Yes, they fought, but it was the Russian people who lost 20 million lives, and we must honor them. And it is the Russian people in Ukraine who are fighting fascism, Nazism. You may disagree with Putin. He may be part of the oligarchs, 
and I don't support that, but he has a little bit of understanding of history. Okay. And when you look at China, you asked about China and I was in just Hong Kong for about four weeks. I've never been there before, but the entire area of Southeast Asia is quite an interesting area and it's going to be coming up very, very rapidly. Um, but China has some problems right now with the way they run their economy. But, you know, the, the, the premier in China, he has some very, very interesting visions. They have long-term goals of what they want to achieve. They don't think short-term. And so America still has something that's very, very valuable. And I want to end on this and we'll open up to questions, Kanthan. There is something called the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, the Bill of Rights. The reason the attack on America is taking place by Zionism, by Silicon Valley, by all the elites is because they do not, and I, it's just, I want to end this really hard on this, they do not want the American people who are really the tip of the spear of the global working class movement, they do not want them to awaken to the fact of the powers that they have. So they must diminish them. They must make them fat, dumb, and happy. No other country has a First and Second Amendment on this planet. No one. So the only way to destroy that is to make the American people fat, dumb, and happy. And that is what's going on. And I'm the only force right now in the United States, for that matter, on the planet, our movement, Truth, Freedom, Health, that is exposing this need to mobilize because what occurs in America affects all working people throughout the world. So fundamentally, my running for president is about you. It's about you recognizing that the only way out of this is for you to be led by one of you, not one of them. That's it, Kanthan. We can go to questions if you want. So, uh, uh, moving to uh, the audience, and I want to ask a question. So, uh, the biggest uh, danger that uh, the world faces, uh, the U.S. faces, is a potential war between the U.S. and China. Because uh, the way that I see it, uh, uh, there's only one uh, geopolitical uh, rival, like a, uh, a comprehensive geopolitical rival, which is uh, the U.S., and that's uh, China. So, uh, you know, uh, they are uh, the number one economy in terms of uh, the PDP, GDP, and they're leading in manufacturing, science, uh, the R&D, uh, trade, and uh, they're uh, uh, working with uh, uh, BRICS, you know, where now 40 countries want to join BRICS, and they're uh, leading uh, the de-dollarization effort, and as you said, they plan very well. You know, they plan uh, 5, 10, 20, 30 years and they work together as a nation, the government, uh, the corporations, uh, people, uh, they all rode the boat in uh, the same direction. And they have uh, the discipline, the smartness, uh, uh, the ethics. So uh, the way that I see it, uh, whoever uh, comes to power, you know, probably it's going to be under a uh, Republican because uh, the uh, Republicans are very China. So there is a uh, potential for, you know, they've tried uh, the trade war, uh, the tech war, and they've placed like 1,000 
uh, Chinese uh, with tech companies under sanctions. But uh, China keeps making a breakthrough, you know, like Huawei smartphone, leading in semiconductors, uh, uh, the quantum computing, AI, supercomputing, electrical uh, vehicles, uh, green energy. They're number one, number one, number one. So, uh, what would be your uh, strategy uh, to avoid uh, the hot war with China? What would you do to make uh, the U.S. more uh, competitive? And uh, do you have any uh, strategies uh, to collaborate with China, or is it going to be a rival and a threat to uh, the American security? Well, Kanpin, uh, I think we need to just step back and look at sort of the actual reality of what goes on between the United States and China, first of all, okay? You pointed out manufacturing, right? Uh, where do you think, you said the Republicans are against uh, China. Where did Trump get all of his hats made? Yeah. No, where did he get all of his, if you go look at Trump's number one expense, it was his Make America Great Hats. Where did he get it made? So, uh, Let me let, let me give you a story, okay? Let me give you a story. Uh, Cotton, how old are you, by the way? 117, okay. <laughs> let me give you a story. The reason I gave it is, do you remember when Toyota first came to the United States? Yeah. Okay. Well, no, it was a very small box car, okay? It's 1971, okay? So anyway, the way that China came in, and I want to address it because the same phenomena is going on. Um, they said, look, we're just going to uh, uh, make th the body of the car, okay, for you, okay? And um, they said, okay, all right? And I, actually, let me give the compact example. It gets even more, more clear. So um, when the computer... Compact, you remember Compact Computers? I think they sold the digital. So yeah. when Compact uh, was making their computers in the United States, the Chinese came and said, look, we're just going to build the outside of the computer, okay? Just the outside. Oh, great. You can build it. We'll save some money. All right, they did that for several years. A couple of years later, they said, look, we're going to build, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the, I'm not going, may not be giving the exact details, but you get the idea. They said, okay, let's just build the monitors. Oh, great, you can do that. All right, we got, the, hey, you know what? We got everything set up. Why don't we just also do the motherboard for you, you know? So little by little, they went from doing the outer stuff all the way down to the operating system, okay? And eventually, China was producing their own computers, okay? So, and, and you go look at cars and you go look at all these things. Um, so the concept of 
what you're saying, the right or the Republicans capitulating to say, okay, we'll let them do MAGA hats, but we're not going to give us our OS. That's not going to happen, okay? All of it will be done and is done being China. Let's be very, very honest and clear here. The dialectic that you're saying that America is against China, let's really step back and really look at it from a class perspective. The elites in the United States will work very closely with the elites in any country. They will move their capital anywhere. They're already distributing their capital anywhere. If you talk to most money managers, they're at least taking one third to 50%, upwards of 50%, and distributing them in ETFs in emerging market companies, all right? So to say that it's US versus China, this is just propaganda. The US elites work very closely with China. Ivanka Trump works very closely with China. Jared, you know, Kushner works very closely with Saudi Arabia, got a $2 billion loan from them. The elites of the United States and the oligarchs and the elites of the BRICS and all these people are very close together. JP Morgan is the one who created BRICS. So we're creating again these false dialectics, and it's really, really not accurate. The reality is that the globalists in all these countries are always looking for new markets. And they will keep moving their capital wherever it needs to go. The people who they will rile up in the middle of this to support them will be the working people in any of these countries. So they keep fighting against each other. Look, Anthony, in many, many, it, during colonial times in the United States, when the elite settlers came here, they made sure that the blacks hated, the black slaves hated the white colonists, the white colonists hated the Native Americans, and so on. And you know, in many, many countries, politicians keep everyone fighting. Now, this is moving to a global level. To think that BRICS is somehow going to help all working people, come on. It is gonna, it's essentially capital moving to a new elite infrastructure or new elite group in a different part of the world. And if you go to Hong Kong today and you go to different parts of the world, you will see many, many American expats living there. So capital is like water, it's gonna flow where this least amount of resistance. So we have to stop thinking, US versus China. Uh-uh, it is the elites of the world versus the working people of the world. And this is what we need to understand. And that is the clarity we need to have if we really wanna start understanding foreign policy. If they see China move up, go look at the major universities. You know, I was just speaking to, somebody I know very close. He's a professor at Xinhua, went from the United States over there. They're gonna be setting up a major institute in Southeast Asia, MIT, Oxford, and China, all right? So to think these people are not gonna to collaborate to protect their own ass is very, very naive. Trump obviously collaborates with China. He tells you openly he does. He makes all of his MAGA hats there. He will keep moving whatever's there for him and his family and his elite friends. Anything that you see overtly U.S. versus China, U.S. versus China, this is to rile up the American working class against the Chinese working class because they're both fucked. So we need to be clear on this. The issue is who's profiting from these kinds of dialectics. You know, Putin may ob observably come across like he's fighting Western imperialism, but remember, he's also part of the oligarchy in Russia. He may be talking about certain things because of his background, but ultimately we need to recognize that global capitalism 
global imperialism is about maximizing power, profit, and control. So we need to take a perspective on this when we say the United States versus China. We need to talk about who are we talking about? Are we talking about the 600 billionaires versus the 600 billionaires of the uh, Communist Party of China? Are we talking about the 300 million American working people versus the three, you know, whatever the X billion people across whatever country? So I think we need to really rethink whenever we say one nation state versus another nation state, because the world is becoming a very, very close knit group of people. And overall, there is an us versus them. And the us here is the broad mass of 8 billion people on this planet. And the them is a very small set of people who continue to pilfer everyone else. And they, and they do wars, perpetual wars, because they need them. And, and by the way, Kantan, if you actually look at the Indian stock market, for example, it's quite fascinating. You know, people wonder, why is the dollar still so strong? It hasn't. It's still strong. I'll give you an example. If you actually look at the Indian stock market, again, it's hyped up. And many of the people who run many of the Indian, own many of the Indian companies, they're doing share buybacks. They're selling their own shares, boosted up. And then they're moving their money to buy U.S. treasuries. Okay? So many of the elites in other countries are actually still putting their money into U.S. dollars. So we need to really stop thinking from the everyday view and start recognizing we live in a very interconnected world. And it is becoming it is becoming a global interconnected system. And that will give us a different viewpoint of who is us versus them. So that's my perspective on this. We have to view this from a very, very different lens, not from the same old China versus Russia, China versus Russia. We have to look at it. There's a lot of commonality among working people throughout the world. Do we lose you, Gunther? What's the question? What device? Yes, that's my question. What device am I using? My iPhone. Thank you for that. Okay, so I'm not sure what that was. 
Okay, uh, we'll go to uh, the next one, Genocide hmm. uh, News Network. Okay, uh, so please keep uh, the question uh, short and uh, relevant. Uh, Gentile, I think you are on. Okay, go ahead. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for hosting this space, man. It's been awesome. Uh, I have a quick question for Dr. Shiva. I'm a huge fan of, of what you've said so far. And um, I wanted to get your thoughts on the demographic replacement of white Americans uh, happening by Zionist Jews. Um, and, and, and we see it in the movies and CRT. We see it with migration. And then there's a lot of anti-white sentiment going on in America. And I'd be interested to see what your thoughts and solution solutions are as an Indian American. Thank you so much for your time and God bless. Well, look, this is what's been going on. If you look at the data since 19, since the civil rights movement, let's just sort of step back. When you look back at the civil rights movement, there is a move by the broad mass of poor whites in this country and poor blacks for true civil rights. And the real call to action on that was to put infrastructure into, into the inner cities. That's where it really came from. The Kennedys, who are also part of the Zionist organized crime family, and by the way, everyone should really realize that the level of deception that is done to make John F. Kennedy think he was a great man, this guy was a complete reckless fool, part of an organized crime family. He wasn't against the CIA, he escalated the CIA, the whole family is based on bullshit, okay? We'll come back to that. But the the reason I bring that up is it was Robert F. Kennedy Sr., Booby's father, who was the one who was tapping everyone's phones from Malcolm X to Martin Luther King. And he knew Martin Luther King was very compromised. He was running orgies. He was doing, you know, all sorts of crazy shit. Malcolm X was truly the man of the people. Malcolm recognized after his trip to Mecca that he gave a very famous speech. He, he said, I believe there will ultimately be a clash between the oppressed and those who do the oppressing, but it will not be based on the color of the skin. Two weeks after that, he was executed because he was gonna unite blacks and whites against the establishment. Now, Martin Luther King, like Gandhi, who was also a very compromised individual, was made into this fake hero. And what did, what did, what did the Kennedys and Martin Luther King actually do? They made sure that they actually pitted whites against blacks, particularly poor whites against poor blacks. And that was all the, the Band-Aid solution of affirmative action was. There were some reforms, albeit in that, right? Because, you know, a, a significant amount of black people were held back by slavery. However, the real solution was to provide infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. And that was not done. So if you look at what's happened at the point of civil rights to today, white working class have been devastated in this country. Just You can just look at the economic data. And what happened after civil rights was a pencil thin strata of black bourgeois were created. The Oprah Winfrey's, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Barack Obama's and the civil rights movement and a lot of Uncle Tom's held that up as, oh, wow, civil rights was great. But the vast majority of black people, in fact, the conditions of black people today is worse than it was before civil rights. If you actually look at the economic conditions and same with poor whites, if you look at the numbers, give you by way of example for poor blacks and poor whites, the wages of poor white working classes dropped by nearly 50%. Hispanics have stayed stable. And you can look at the fact that all people of different races, particularly poor whites have suffered incredibly. But all of this has been covered up 
by this fake civil rights movement, which was hijacked by the Kennedys. And you can go read history. This has been well written about. But we live in a world right now where we want to purposely pit poor blacks against poor whites so the Zionist hoodlums can get away with murder. And that's what's going on. They print money. They move money to Israel. Israel supports AIPAC. And AIPAC supports every idiot in Congress who bows down and must suck Zionist cock. And that's what's going on. And you should be angry at this. But the reality is black people, white people, people of all races must unite. And it is us versus them. And the them is a swarm. And the swarm is these set of individuals, a very small set of people who keep wanting to maximize power, profit, and control. And embedded in their philosophy is a caste system that they are better than us. Really embedded way deep in there. And that's where this comes from. So yeah, the conditions of white working class is pretty devastating in the United States, and it should be talked about. But we must understand that the original civil rights movement was about uniting people to create infrastructure, and the Zionist hoodlums who run Congress do not want to put any money into infrastructure. There's three buckets of the economy, security, equity, and infrastructure. Security and equity is we're giving away free money. So if you're elected in Congress, you have two years, so you keep giving away money for free because you want to get elected. And once in a while you do something for security, but rarely do you invest in infrastructure, particularly in the inner cities, because you're not going to get elected again. And I have some solutions that I think should happen around that. It's not just term limits, but we can go more into detail as we come to questions. But thank you for your question. But I think um, within your question is this broader issue of people uniting across both you know, race and religion. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. Um, I, I appreciate that. I think we should all unite as well. I was more so talking about uh, whites becoming a minority within the next, you know, 20 years. And if that was something that you were uh, concerned with. with well, well, let's yeah. Well, look, look, here, here's the deal, right? When you talk about immigration, right? <laughs> if you look at what the Zionists have done in the United States, they have supported the biggest dictators of the planet. Okay. It is the elites in the United States who supported the Taliban and the Mujahideen because they needed dictators in Afghanistan to basically have control of the rare earth metals. In Chile, we supported people like Allende who butchered many, many students. So you have to recognize that the United States imperialists, Zionists, the swarm, has put dictators into power in all these countries. And they create the conditions where those people must leave those countries to come to the United States. They create the quote unquote immigration problem. And if you look, they have no, no, the left or the right has no reason to solve the quote unquote immigration problem, which they create. Because first of all, they get to fuck up other countries, but more importantly, they get cheap labor in the United States. Wall Street survives on cheap labor. And if you really think about it, if Congress really wanted to solve the immigration problem, they could do it in one session. They take vacations. Why don't they just stay there all day and night? And I'll give them the solution. The solution is you look at the broad mass of people who are in the United States right now. Let's say there's 20 million, quote unquote, illegal immigrants. You start looking at how many of them are actually working. And there's quite a bit of them separate from the criminals and all that. You put them on the path to citizenship and you start collecting taxes right away. It's going to generate around $2 trillion. But I think we really need to look at the assessment. There's a bunch of people in the United States who are not working, who are living off the hog, and maybe they should be sent to some of those other countries. You say, 
So we're living in a very interesting time where the left and the right, Republicans and Democrats, Wall Street needs cheap labor. We have to follow the money here. They don't have any principles. They're not patriots. They don't give a damn about the white working class or any working class. They just care about them. So to your point, they don't care to solve the immigration problem. They profit from it. Next question. Cotton, are you there? Who's starting? Okay, question from uh, subjective views. Yeah, just a quick question in regards to um, us. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. How are you? Yeah, how are you? Uh, just a quick question in regards to um, uh, us, us moving towards a uh, tokenized economy, everything moving on to blockchain, uh, you know, specifically about, my, I guess my question is specifically about, you know, your thoughts on, on Bitcoin and crypto on, and where do you think that kind of leads us down? Yeah, it's a great question. L listen, as a technologist, you know, who's built... You know, one of the slogans I have here is truth, freedom, help. And why is it that I talk about all these three? Truth and innovation, uh, science is a very important part. Freedom is important and health is important. As a scientist and an engineer, I can't divorce all of these struggles. Let me tell you why. We're getting some, someone's not muted. We can mute them. Um, so here's the reality. When you look at technology, Technology has rarely advanced people broadly. It is, when you look in the ultimate end, whenever a new technology comes, it ultimately consolidates power, okay? And that's what it does, and you have to recognize this. So let me give you an interesting analogy, okay? Talking about blockchain and Bitcoin. In, in, this, in 1787, they created a very, very important institution in the United States called the Postal Service. And we take this institution for granted the Postal Service was created by the founders because they wanted to ensure free speech equaled free reach. With Elon Musk doesn't believe in, neither does the ADL, by the way, okay? But the founders of the United States, in order to give teeth to the First Amendment, they built a technology, a technology infrastructure. That was called the Postal Service. The Postal Service allowed any individual to send a little letter from one point to another for pennies. It's quite extraordinary, okay? And Franklin, by the way, Benjamin Franklin was actually the head of the Crown's Postal Service. And when that got created, not only did they create this entire infrastructure, but part of that infrastructure, they also created something called a police force, which would police the employees. So if someone opened the letter in, in, the, middle of, in the middle of transit, it was a 22-year sentence in prison, okay? So they created policies, and this infrastructure was actually a quasi-public infrastructure. It was many ways owned by the people in every small village or town. You had a little postal uh, unit. And up until 1970, 1980, 70 to 80% of the letters that went through communications that went through the system up until 1960 was left wing, right wing, all different communications, which were unfettered, no censoring. Now, 
Why do I give this background? Where a technology called email, which I created in 1978, which is, you can't hear anything? Compton, can you hear me? Uh, uh, yes. Hello? Hello? Yeah, let me finish. So I'm just answering this. Compton, can you hear me all right? Uh, yes. Okay. So the technology infrastructure that got created was also hand in hand with policy. So it wasn't just this technology, but it had policy which said that if someone opened a communication, they would be thrown in prison for 22 years. Now, in 1997, something interesting happened. After the web came, email volume overtook postal mail volume. Some of you may remember this. And on that day is when free speech and free reach started ending because private companies started owning our email. People got free email, Hotmail, whatever you can think about. But most people didn't read the fine print. This infrastructure is owned by them. Your emails, your communications were no longer owned by you. And I remember meeting with the Postal Service. I was 29 years old and I said, look, you guys should offer a version of email that would be protected under the aegis of the US laws. They thought it was idiotic. And then about 14, I think, was it 11 years, 12 years later, the Postal Service is going out of business. They're going out of business because they had something, they didn't move, they didn't realize that they're not in the mail business of postal mail, they're in the communications business to enable free speech to equal free reach, okay? So now we're in a situation where we have four, and when the internet came, the idea was each one of us would build our own websites, we would have our own servers, we would have local you know, internet companies, we would drive traffic. What actually happened was we outsourced all of that to four major companies, YouTube, for hosting videos, you know, Facebook for building our quote unquote, our little posts and our sites and Twitter. All right. So that's where we're at right now. We no longer really have freedom and free reach. And that's why Elon Musk, who's really not about free speech, where Elon Musk ends and government begins, nobody knows. Right. But Elon Musk boldly says free speech doesn't equal free reach. He's rewriting the spirit of the Constitution. So why am I giving this background? Because right now, the internet, you know, when I wrote the book, Arts and the Internet, where is this, back in 1993, the vision was the internet would give all of us a level playing field. We don't have a level playing field anymore. Some people have reach, others don't. Now, let's come to Bitcoin. So here's the technology. It's using something called blockchain. By the way, the blockchain concept has existed for many, many years. In basic computer science, it was called a linked list. Two data elements connected to another and you add a hash code, okay? So this is not anything brilliant or new. It's existed for a long time, all right? Now, the question you must ask is the blockchain technology, all of this infrastructure, what does it run on? Who owns the backbone of all this? We know today I'm communicating with you right now on these iPhones. Where's all this communication going through? What's going through four major telecom providers? Verizon, AT&T, Vodafone, and maybe, you know, somebody else, okay, T-Mobile. In, in, in 2000, when these massive protests took place in Egypt, young people were protesting Mubarak, and they were all using social media. Everyone's like, oh, wow, this is great. I can organize protests. We have so much freedom. But when working people joined those protests, Mubarak in one call made one phone call to Vodafone, and they shut it all down. So you got to understand. We are running around thinking, oh, I got all this freedom. I got blockchain. I got all this. 
who owns all of this infrastructure? And in my view, the founders of the United States were very enlightened people. Certain infrastructure needs to be owned by the people for the people. So when you talk about blockchain, recognize two developments that are coming, quantum computing, and the fact that this infrastructure is owned by a finite set of people. Go look at who's actually mining Bitcoin. You need a shitload of computing power. So this egalitarian stuff people talk about cannot exist in reality until we, the people, control the backend infrastructure. So in my view, the Bitcoin concept, the blockchain obviously makes sense, just like the internet does, just like the printing press did. But over time, who owns these technologies? Who's going to control them? Just like AI. All right. So we have to start thinking like the 8 billion of us, who's going to own these technologies? And that's the way I look at this. Okay. Because unless we understand these technologies, who's going to own them, a finite set of people will use them for further and further and further consolidation of power. And, and nowadays, you know, you can wipe out someone overnight on social media. You can do character assassination and they're gone. Much harder in the world of print. So when blockchain and Bitcoin came along, people started getting used to this concept of digital currency. But if you start looking at the back door of a lot of blockchain, a little bit different than blockchain cash, okay, two different things, that there are APIs being built in and it would be not that difficult for the major central banks when they go into many of them starting centralized bank digital currencies to force this stuff to be subsumed underneath that. And you gotta be aware of this. And if you look at basic technology of encryption and prime factorization, you know, when faster computing comes, this stuff's gonna get broken pretty fast, okay? So I'm a firm believer technology doesn't solve humanity's problems unless these core technologies are in the hands of people, the vast majority of people, especially as these technologies get more and more powerful. Okay, sounds good. Uh, we'll go to uh, the next one, uh, Lou Farmer. Uh, please, uh, okay. Uh, go ahead, please. Yeah, so long. Appreciate that. Uh, okay, so, is it on me? That's so long. Strong. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can do Okay, cool. So, yeah, uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak, Kantan, uh, uh, and uh, having Dr. Shiva uh, up here. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, thank you for all of the information you provide, Dr. Shiva. Uh, thank you for being consistent across the platforms, whether you're talking in the room with uh, 200 people in 2000. Uh, I found you to be pretty consistent across the lines. Um, and to be able to stay on the same type of tone is actually amazing. And uh, you kind of, the last kind of question that asked, you know, about white America, kind of uh, the way you estimated that was was pretty good. So I'm just going to ask my question just here, um, because I know you're running for president and there's a president candidate. Um, myself, I'm a black American Negro whose ancestors fought in the Civil War, uh, fought in World War One as well. Um, and I'm sure a couple of subsequent uh, uh, other wars as well. But uh, especially the things that we've seen with the Zionists uh, all the way from the next of the voting circle. Uh, with the KGC, with John Wilkes Booth and the whole industry of birth of a nation and all of the propaganda that was utilized, especially against the black American Negro to create the boogeyman effect for the white American. Um, one thing that we're doing right now, especially uh, in our conversations, is talking about not only what my great grandmother spoke about, about her uh, lost income and lost generational wealth uh, due to illegal taking of things, 
uh, with these governments, but just through uh, the, the hands of reparations and restitution and not necessarily the handout pro motive that's put out there as the propaganda, but especially the lost wages, whether you're speaking about um, government uh, institutionalized things ever since we have won the, the war to separate from the Confederates and create the union we, we so love today that's clearly being troubled. Um, but what is your position um, as it pertains uh, to rethinking the things that, uh, especially for daughter is 15 and the 40, commonly known as 40 acres and a mule, Dr. Shiva. Um, and also, uh, what is your position on restitution and reparations for those descendant class of American Negroes who, are, who have descended from that? Um, and not necessarily just an all-out welfare program uh, for our all black people, as sometimes is commonly stated. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to speak, Doctor, and uh, can't wait to hear your answer. And thank you for the opportunity to speak to him, as well as Sal Pendon uh, in a wonderful room as well. And thank you, sir. Yeah, so so, so how, what do I call you, Lee Farmer? Is it Lee? Yes, sir. So, 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 Lee, let, let's let's have a con. So, look, you're bringing up something that's very close to my heart. You got to understand, um, this is very, very similar um, to. So, I don't know if you know, India has this thing. A lot of Indians don't want to talk about this, and they want to assume um, the 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 left. So, in India and the right, both don't really get down to the heart of the issue. Nor does the left or the right ever really get down to the heart of racism in the United States. Okay. This has been the problem because these discussions have been owned by the elites. A bunch of liberal elites uh, on the left own the discussion of race and the right wing discounts that there is any racism, right? And the same thing with the caste issue in India. You have this very, very serious problem that the, the <laughs> one segment in India, I don't know if you know about what the caste system is, Lee, but it's a system. It's similar to racism, but it has a um, origination point. But there's been this fundamental issue of you have a certain set of oppressed classes um, through historical uh, right uh, realities, and how should that be taken care of at a certain point in time, right? Now, let me give you, from my own personal example, you know, I remember growing up in India where, as a four-year-old kid, you know, went to one of my friend's homes. And his mother called me a shudra, which is like the N-word, spit at me. And that's when I realized I was this lower caste Hindu. You know, I didn't even understand what the hell this was. And then my mom explained this to me and it was quite devastating. And I started really wanting to understand all systems of oppression. Um, and India really hasn't dealt with this fully yet. Just like, you know, Americans haven't fully dealt with the issue of racism. And I have a very specific perspective. And I think the honest perspective, what is racism, you know? In my view, Elizabeth Warren is a racist. She uses racist for political advancement. And the left doesn't get this. They think she's fighting racism when she isn't. But nonetheless, in India, what I can, there was a very interesting Indian leader who's a great man. Uh, very few political leaders, I'll say this, probably Malcolm X was one of them, a guy called Kamaraj. He only had eight great education. And when he looked at the fact that there was these poor lower caste people and the Brahmins or the elites would say, oh, they're dumb, they're stupid, they can't be educated. And what he said was, look, my people are not stupid. They don't have any food to eat, okay? So he instituted a basic uh, uh, lunch program where people got some high protein meals and literally in one generation, you start seeing people work hard, get educated uh, well. And give you, my mom was one of those people. There's a picture of my poor mom, a very low caste Indian woman, among 40 men, this dark-skinned Indian woman who gets graduates, you know, quite extraordinary. And my dad didn't see a book until he was, you know, in uh, I think 
10 or 11 years old, all right? So this stuff is very personal to me. So when we want to start talking about racism, we the we need to recognize that all those people at Harvard, all those people at Stanford who talk about racism, they don't really want to solve racism. The real issue is there is racism. So all the right-wing listening, yeah, there is a fucking racism. So here up, okay? And what is racism though? Racism is using race, using forms of segregation to put people into their boxes. And when they step out of those boxes, you whip the shit out of them, all right? That's a fundamental idea. Now, yes, it's true that the African kings were also slave owners, and we have to understand that. And we have to understand that the history of slavery, oppression of man against man, woman against woman, goes back a long time. So the issue comes in, where do you, who do you start? Where does the timeline start? And where does the timeline end? You following what I'm saying? Lay? Yes, sir. So it's a very, very, it's a very powerful question. Now, but if we look at right now where we are standing today, the issue is what can we do right now to correct not only the past, but right now? What are the things we can do? And I would say the number one thing that needs to be done is infrastructure, 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 infrastructure. So I was brought up, Lee, you know, from this racist, low caste environment, because if you were dark skin and you were low caste and you were from a certain part of India, you were fucked, man, particularly if you were women, okay, for a woman. So my mom said, and you know, in India, you could get discriminated nine different ways, but in America, maybe three, but you just, you have to work hard. But education was always a way out, Lee, education, skills, knowledge, you see? And ultimately, I believe that is the way out. So I'll give you a very powerful example. At MIT in 1963, and I don't know if you know this, MIT, the number one technology institute in the world, there was only two black students at MIT at that time, okay? One of them was a woman called Shirley Jackson, who now I think is the uh, president of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, RPI. And Shirley Jackson was, was getting a PhD. And she was, you know, when you get your PhD, you have to give a thesis presentation. It was all white men. Here's this black woman, only two black students at MIT, something like that. And she threw, throws down her thesis and she said how it was a disgrace that there were only two black people among 8,000 students. So the next year um, or the year thereafter, they let about 50 students into MIT under this thing called affirmative action. All right. And it was sort of their form of reparations. Lee, you following me? Okay, we're going to let people in. We're going to. And when those students came to MIT, they were from the inner cities, they realized it was a setup. No matter how much money they got, scholarships, they were all going to fail after freshman year. Why? Because their high schools didn't teach them calculus, didn't teach them algebra, none of them. So MIT let them in, and then they could say, see, these people are dumb. You follow what I'm saying, Lee? So what, what those students did was those 50 students took over the MIT faculty club, and they demanded that MIT create the infrastructure that should have been done in the inner cities if the civil rights movement had delivered. So MIT was forced to set up tutoring programs, was forced to um, find additional tutors. And then you start seeing the early 
students start graduating MIT. When I came to MIT in 1981, most of my friends, by the way, to give you an idea, when I came to MIT in 1981, there was an Indian students club there and the Indian students would always ask me my last name. They were the Brahmins. And by the way, I have nothing against Brahmins, but they were quite racist. And they didn't really like me because I was a low caste person. They could check for my name. So my friends were poor blacks and poor whites at MIT. And we mobilized in 1981 because when Reagan came into office, he wanted to take away all those gains of the 60s and 70s. We fought and we made sure those gains were there. But here's the bottom line. At a fundamental level, the Democrats and Republicans have fucked over the working people, black people and white people to make sure that infrastructure is never delivered so they fail. Now, those students at MIT fought for that and they fought for that infrastructure. It was a microcosm what really needs to occur. But now what's happened is places like MIT, Harvard, they let in all the black bougies. You follow what I'm saying, Lee? You don't find a lot of okay. Yes, so the bootlickers are allowed in the Obamas, Obama's kids, those kind of people, right? So they've created a pencil thin strata of black bourgeois, and then they say, "See, everything's solved." So that's what's happened. It is really a class war that we've created in the United States right now, and it is that it is what it is, and people don't want to talk about it, but that's where we're at. So when you talk about you know, people to the Oprah Winfrey's, when they say, look at the Michael Jordan's, the LeBron James, the Oprah Winfrey's, um, and how they're able to make it. Um, and then Yeah, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's for others. Right. So they give that whole spiel. Anyone can do it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But you need infrastructure. Okay. Because when I grew up in the last three years in New Jersey at a Zionist school, all those kids had infrastructure. And I see a lot of very wealthy kids who are actually fucking dumb, but their parents give them a lot of infrastructure, okay? They have people write their essays. They do everything for them. In fact, a Harvard professor said a lot of smart, dumb kids are getting into big institutions and poor kids are not. So in my view, Lee, if we want to talk about quote unquote reparations, we must talk about infrastructure. You say it's infrastructure and I mean food because look, if your brain is not functioning well, man, and you need a good high protein diet for your brain to function well. And that's what happened in the 1930s, 40s, 50s in India. All the Brahmins were saying, oh, these dark skinned Indian low caste people are dumb. They're dumb. One little change, high protein, one meal, it changed a whole generation. So we have to understand this. I'm not sure if you remember in America, with the Black Panthers Party, we actually uh, yes. had the Black Panther Party started the uh, breakfast program. Yes. It's not something that was instituted in the school systems, which they were utilizing um, to say that the child, our Black American Negro children were adept to not be educational or taught due to the fact that we were unable to sustain our focus in the classroom setting. When in actuality, a lot of them were going to school without even eating a protein meal or a balanced diet, and one that will reflect the student that would be in the same class. And it's not to say all the white children were eating such a breakfast, but to say that our children didn't have a competitive edge because they're going to school and instead of thinking about calculus or one, two, threes and ABCs, they're focused on where their next meal is going to come from. And yeah. we're also utilizing your brain energy uh, has a cumulative effect on your ability to focus. And I've even seen one study, Dr. Shiva, where it even was saying how the light spectrums that were used in lights had a cumulative effect as well on the black American Negro children, where higher spectrums, which were brighter, 
uh, offered a more interactive, more energetic, which would create a more ADHD. Yeah, look, setting. look, and Bob. You got the other one where a warmer setting created a more front row student, uh, more on the board, walking through diagrams, and they were able to go ahead and interact and engage better with just the light systems in the school. So again, when you look at these whole cumulative effects, they all take a course that where you can see a study or a cumulative effect on the children at that generation, especially at that age group. And I'm also familiar with the Dalits and how they treat the Dalits as well. I'm an avid supporter of the farmers as well. I have a couple of Indian friends uh, who came from India as well that I know and uh, contact very well yeah. as well. Uh, but one of the things I did want to say, Doctor, was just that, again, the, the positioning point as it, as it pertains to that restitution point, not to go through, again, the whole gambit of restitution from every society or walk of life, but in America specifically, especially at the Civil War, not even not even pre that with the British colonies, uh, the fight for America that we enjoy today, because we know at the Confederates one, we would be experiencing a different type of America. And to even go as far as to say, I firmly believe that they've won because they assassinated Lincoln, assassinated a lot of other people, and have continued with their little pledges. If you don't support A, B, and C, then you don't even get to be put on the podium to be seen. So when I say restitution, I'm specifically speaking from a certain point from the 1860s up until what we see today and for the generations, which I know myself is three generations from an American chattel slave plantation. And then my ancestors fought for their freedom in America. Yeah. Abolitionist white Americans held to fight to go ahead and fight against those white Confederates who wanted to keep them enslaved. So that that specific time frame and as an American president, especially one with the background of subject to uh, those type of things. What do you see for that group of people who literally have been invested in America since that changing of the guard from the British colonies to the America that we see today and then through the Civil War that we see with the Confederates, pro-Mason Dixon line, North, South Mason Dixon line, South Confederate Union Army, and then having that abolitionist type of mindset today. It's more specific on to what I'm speaking to as far as restitution, uh, but I definitely yeah. So, so Lee, I, I think this is this is this is look. Um, the bottom line is this, right? If you look at again a point in history, right, and you go back to different points in history, right, there's been serious abuse done. We can talk about the Native Americans, right? It's a big, big issue, right? The land and the, still the abuse that they undergo today. You can look at the arc of human history, and the fact is, if you really step back, and we want to look at, in, in a very material way, a small set of people continue to abuse a large majority of people. You follow what I'm saying? And they enslave a majority of people. And this dynamic keeps showing up throughout history. So to me, as someone, you know, when I was that four-year-old kid and I saw that I was a less quote unquote a lesser human being and my mom said when she used to go to the well they should chase her away like a pig the brahmins right so this started affecting me and as a kid i wanted to really learn how we could actually liberate large masses of people right so to me the fundamental issue is let's say you give restitution to all people today okay whatever that number is the fundamental issue is how do you make sure that this slavery doesn't occur again and again and again? You follow what I'm saying? This is a much more fundamental issue. Yes, sir. And and the reality and I is, think that's where the, the conversation is is where you have it over a course of years, not like a one time thing. I firmly believe that if a hundred and I believe it was about 148 years since those type of injuries started, 
it won't just happen in like a 60 or 70. Right. Year. I think it will be another type of 75. Well, well, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think. I do believe those foundations should be built up. Uh, to help support them because you can't just give a person money and think that that's going to solve the problem. But we do recognize that it goes to go to therapy to change your living situation. To that's that's what I'm saying. So, so, so to me, those things cost. yeah, to me, the issue is the reason I gave you that MIT example, right? You could argue that was money that was given, but more importantly, what was given was this infrastructure and you could put a dollar value on it. Okay. So I'll give you an example. My friend Bruce Padmore, Bruce came from, you know, African-American, came from the inner cities of Louisiana, single mother. Bruce ended up becoming my CTO. All right. And if you look at Bruce's background, it was because of that infrastructure that he was given, that he was provided, which he was no way he could get in the inner cities of Louisiana, that he's become very, very successful. But that infrastructure is wealth. To me, that is reparations to the power of 10 because you're now enabling people the infrastructure that they were not provided. Think about how many people actually get, you You know, the whole lottery thing, right? People get money. And then I think 90% of those people are gone with their money. <laughs> they have anything, right? But my view is that we must give people infrastructure. And if you were to say, okay, these are all the things that were not afforded to these people and they should, I think in my view that infrastructure is the wealth that they sh people should be afforded. And that infrastructure is not. Yeah. Infrastructure should be supported by tentative plans with monetary input as well. And I do believe both. Well, what 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 I'm saying is that infrastructure has immense. But but you, what you have to understand is that those in power, I would argue, would probably rather just give money. This is why Gavin Newsom just wants to give money. He doesn't want to give infrastructure. Look at California, and the infrastructure's money that's given is printed money, man. They print money, they inflate it, and it's gone. It is infrastructure that's needed if you want to really, really talk about advancing the oppression that's been done to people. You know? I believe in both, Dr. Yeah. I believe in both. Oh, okay. It's not just, I want to, I'm saying, uh, where's my check? But Martin Luther King did say we're coming for our check. But I do, I do firmly agree that there needs to be an infrastructure to support well, what that money does hit. Yeah, Malcolm X, in my view, Malcolm had the, yeah, Malcolm had the right model. Yeah, Malcolm had the right model, which was to create infrastructure in the inner cities, you know? And you create enough, look, if you go to a place like MIT or Silicon Valley, your chance of becoming wealthy or an entrepreneur is increased by a factor of, I don't know, I'm gonna choose a number, 50. Would you not agree? If you grew up in a wealthy neighborhood, okay, just by osmosis, just by, you can be a dumb fuck, and just because you bump into other people, your opportunities increase. Think about all these dumb kids who go to Harvard, but because they hang out at the right clubs. You follow what I'm saying, Lee? So. Absolutely, network and network are cumulative as well. That's what I'm saying. So, so a lot of this is occurring I would say 90% of this is occurring because of that. If you look at the, and I've been in all these circles, you have a lot of dumb people who have, don't have talent, but they just happen to be in an infrastructure and they know who's asked to kiss. And that infrastructure gives them enormous advantage to create wealth. Now, the problem is the vast majority of people do not have access to those networks. They do not have access to that. So 
you know, today people are given money. Print. In fact, the established. Like if you go to India right now, they give a lot of the low caste people money, TVs, everything. You say, and they're basically slaves of the government now. And that is not what we want. That's moving slavery from one form to another. And my big view is that, yes, the government, there should be quote unquote reparation, but it should be the reparations from the elites, from the Zionists to put infrastructure in the inner cities. That's what needs to happen. I mean, Patterson, New Jersey, when I grew up there has not changed or even Newark, man, has not changed appreciably since 1976. What the fuck? I know. I know that, man. But I'm you saying know, the. I think it was the Gates Foundation, the Willow Gates Foundation, and it didn't turn into anything medical. It became an apartment complex for wealthy individuals. Right. Actuality. It was a lot of times where our Medicaid and Medicare people taught their doctor and healthcare right across the street on that same street. Yeah. So, so Lee, let's do this. Why don't you email me and we should do a, a, a longer discussion on this, okay? Yeah. Just send me a follow back, Dr. Shebus, and then I'll send you my Yeah, why don't you just DM me right now with your information, okay? Yes, yeah, sir, I will. I sure yeah. will. We need to have a real discussion on this. Yeah, we need to have a real discussion on this versus a periphery discussion that takes place on the left and the right. So. Absolutely agree, sir. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, uh, we'll go a strong uh, white American. Uh, thank you. Uh, I didn't really listen to the, I missed the opening of the basically what you were about. So I apologize if so, some of the stuff I say is repetitive for you. Okay, go ahead. Were you saying that? I think there's two people, I think there's two people speaking. Someone calls, uh, oh, Strong is speaking. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, Strong. Just me. Do I need to repeat or did you? No, 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 no. I got it. Go ahead. I, I, so I just kind of wanted to follow up on something two questions ago. Yep. You asked about immigration and you kind of said, if I'm not mistaken, it's white American Jews that create the system in other countries and hold them to forcing immigration. So you would say that the um, rate of like Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, their Islamic values and culture is kept that way with, you know, how the, the women and all that. You're going in and out strong. Go ahead. Is held to the United States white Jewish, like, oppression. And, and the reach is global, except for, like, Australia and other parts. How does that work by just saying erase white race and that will and Jews and that will like solve that issue? I'm not sure what you're talking about. I don't. Are you, were you on this Twitter space? I don't know what you're referring to. Yeah, um, Gentile asked, "What do you think of the immigration?" Yeah. Erasure, and you said, "Well, the United States has." created the immigration and in the other locations forced to come to America. Like they like you're basically saying both countries can get it together, 
No, 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 that's not, no, 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 you didn't, you, I, I, I don't know where, okay, let me just stop you. I don't know where you came in the conversation. First of all, I didn't say white, yeah, I didn't say white Jews, I said Zionists, first of all, big difference, okay, so please, yeah, yeah you shouldn't, conf well, let me finish, let me finish, stop. Zionist, somebody that thinks that Jewish people should have a place to live? Nope, that's not what Zionism is, okay? Okay, so explain that to me, maybe that's something. Yeah, Zionism is a political ideology. In fact, of the 16 million Jews on the planet, okay, you know, the most number of Zionists are 60 million, quote-unquote, Christian Zionists in the United States. So you don't have to be Jewish to be Zionist. So that's the first thing that the broad mass of American people, for that matter, people throughout the world need to be educated. Zionism is a political ideology, okay? That's the first thing people need to understand. Now, listen very carefully to what I'm saying, and, and you can go study this history on your own. Here's the bottom line. When we say the United States, we should stop using that term unless we talk about who we're talking about in the United States. Are we talking about the 0.00001% in the United States? Or are we talking the broad mass of working class Americans? And when I talk about the American people, I'm not referring to the 0.001%, the Kissingers, the Kennedys, the Trumps. That's not what I'm talking about. The aspect of global capitalism and imperialism has advanced to a point now where it is about maximizing profit, maximizing profit, at any cost, right? So there was a time when capitalism grew at a level where it really was truly a market economy and you supported competition. But what's happened is in every sector, you have three or four monopolies and they don't actually do any more competition. These people talk about capitalism, but if anything, they're the biggest fascists on the planet. So their goal in every sector is to consolidate power, profit, and control. So when you look at the devastation, these people, not the, not the United States, not the American people, a finite set of people did to Latin America, a finite set of people did to the Middle East, a finite set of people did to subjugate other people. This is not the American people. So this is where the confusion takes place when people get psyoped, okay? We must separate the people who work for a living, work hard, which is a majority of the American people, versus a bunch of 0.001% of scumbags who basically think they're smart, like the Vivek the Snake example. The guy doesn't, he hasn't worked. He moves capital around. He does deals. He fakes it, okay? That is not the American people. Now, those strata of people, what I call imperialists, are all about doing whatever it takes to maximize their profit. So they'll go into a country and they'll say, wow, look at all the resources this country has. It's got copper. And we are anaconda copper. We want to get as much copper out of here as the lowest price. And the working people in Chile don't like that. They're going to fight us. So we're going to support a fascist general by the name of Allende. And by the way, when students were protesting him, he butchered them and buried them in the stadium. And you should go read about it. That is who we supported. We, meaning the 0.001% supported. And so when people in Central America leave that devastation caused by the same enemy that we have, okay? The same enemy that we have is the enemy that they have.
But those people have to now come as refugees to the United States. And when they come as refugees to this country, the left and the right have no interest in addressing the problem. They let them in. They do not want to uh, affect the source of the problem, which is these what we talk about democracy in these countries. We do not want democracy. We want fascism because both the left and the right, Democrats and Republicans, they profit from it. So they will say, oh, yeah, we care about these refugees on one side. And the other side said, oh, my God, these immigrants, we got to stop them. But they allow them in because they don't want to address the real issue. And when those people come, they have to hide. They have to do this. They have to do that. And then they are paid, you know, one fifth of the American worker. One, right. So it depresses the entire economy. So I hope you're understanding this. And when you look at Afghanistan, I don't know if you know this, but the Afghan women had the right to vote before American women. Did you know that? The Afghan women had the right to vote before American women of 1917. And it was U.S. imperialism and British imperialism, which supported the Mujahideen, which supported the most fascist elements. And in fact, in the most recent thing, we put the Taliban back to power. We, meaning this 0.001%, because we found out there's a shitload of lithium and a shitload of rare earth metals. Why would you want a democratic free Afghanistan? You don't. So we need to get very clear when we mean we. I would say they. They created these problems. They don't want to solve immigration. They profit from all of this. I hope I'm being clear. Uh, but that was uh, Professor Dr. Shiva. I will go to uh, the next question from uh, Rohit. Uh, Rohit. Uh, uh, please go ahead and uh, unmute yourself. Okay. We don't have Rohit. So uh, we will go to uh, Rancho. Uh, Rancho. Yes. Yes. Hey, what's up, Shiva? It's Noel, dude. Noel, how are you? Long time. <laughs> Good, brother. Nice to hear you. What's your question? Anywho, huh? Go ahead, Noel. Good to hear you. Yeah, same, same. Brother, I wanted to ask you about, uh, do you have any policies in mind for, like, millennial family formation? How do we promote, I mean, this has touched on some of the lines that some of the audience has asked. But basically, you know, I don't know what your opinion is on demographics, uh, but how do we foment and promote family formation? Um, you know, some things that I we have talked about is like a homestead act or something like this. Is there any policies that you can share with us or ideas to to get those demographic numbers up, to get those family formation numbers up, regardless of people's race? Yeah, you're bringing up a great question. Look, um, Noel, are you still there? Look, I think, let me just sort of yeah. clarify what you're saying, because there's so many ways that you're, so if we take one aspect of it, I think you're talking about a husband, wife, having kids, being able to prosper, create families, right? Noel, do we lose him? Yeah, no, I'm here. I'm here. That's what you're talking about, right? I mean, in a very fundamental way that um, 
the ability for two people to come together and have families and grow their families. Is that what you're talking about, Noel? And survive. Yeah. How do we promote basically that, you know, like a demographic continuance where, yeah. you know, you look at some of these countries like Japan or, or South Korea or many countries in Europe where they're basically facing a demographic cliff that as soon as the boomer generation dies off in their countries, yeah. they're going to plummet. And, and I think a lot of the immigration that's being promoted around the world by the elites is to kind of shore up this demographic gap that's going to be left knowing that, well, when these people die off, the economies are going to shrink because there's just not that many people in them anymore. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. It's kind of escaping that because of so much Hispanic immigration chiefly, but immigration from everywhere. Um, but how, how do we promote you know, kind of a continuance. How do we promote millennials mm -hmm. to, you know, some countries like Russia, for example, they have like baby bonuses. Like if you have like seven babies, you pay no taxes forever. You know, is there any kind of policies like this that you have considered or is this a, a topic that you've considered uh, much at all? Yeah, so so look, I think we have to go down to, um, so by the way, if you look, I was just in Italy, in, in, in Italy facing this problem, right? Um, there's, if you go to parts of Italy, there's homes that no one's occupying. There's not enough people. Okay. And right. so they have justified, this is why we're going to have people coming from other countries. Okay. I mean, they have beautiful homes when I was in Sardinia that are just empty for like, that empty. that's what I'm trying to say. So, so you have that phenomenon taking place. I mean, we saw this occur where, you know, school sizes were becoming small, et cetera. So you're talking about the aspect of population and people being encouraged to have kids, okay? This is a very fundamental question. I would argue what's happened is the cost of doing this for an average person is quite high, right? The cost. The other thing that's happened is between men and women, the fundamental relationship between males and females have been significantly affected in the United States. When someone gets together with a male, or you know, if you're if you're a woman and get together with with a man or the other way around, you, there are three people in this relationship right now: you, your partner, and the government. You see what I'm saying? And the if you talk to a lot of people, the level of because a state is involved in people's lives, the level of insecurity those relationships have. The level of lack of trust that those have created is quite significant, okay? Because the government owns your kids, right? Two people have kids. Who's going to own the kids, right? There are more incentives now in the United States to break families apart. You may not know this, Noel. I don't know if you, I did a whole video on this. The foster care industry is about a $2 trillion industry. Were you aware of that? No, I had no idea. Yeah. So, so. I mean, surprise me yeah everything's a racket so there is a huge amount of money incentivizing at the public levels public employees to break up families all right so if you have that world going on and you're a man particularly you know uh, if you're a man now in the united states it is a very very dangerous experience for you to get married because you are actually on the other end in many ways economically, okay? So the level of distrust that's created between men and women is quite unfortunate. It's actually anti-family. So I don't think we need to start talking about immigration or not immigrant. We need to talk about this fundamental issue 
that the government has destroyed people's lives. And there are many, there are more incentives to break up families for people not to create families than there are to have families. I'll give you an example. The contrast is in India right now, okay? 20, you know, typically the concept of divorce, people um, having families was was always seen as, you know, as a central thing. You know, I was talking to a number of my people that I know very cl closely. And one of my very close friends, she has a daughter. And she was saying, you know, our daughter's getting married. We're making sure that she has her own career and she's doing this and she's doing this. Why? Because we don't know if the guy she marries is going to work out. So as economies move forward, as the governments get more and more involved in people's lives, we're creating these conditions where it is very hard to sustain a family unit. And that is a systemic issue because of the nature of global imperialism, which affects people at the fundamental level that people have to work an inordinate amount of hours. They have to put so much effort into basic survival, the chance of a family unit surviving goes down significantly, probabilistically. You follow what I'm saying? This was not the situation in the 1940s, okay? You could have a single person working, people could stay home, they could bring up their kids, okay? That's changing worldwide right now. And so Elon Musk can have 20 kids, yeah, because he's got $200 billion he made off doing whatever, right? But you go try to have 20 kids, Noel, and you go try to find a family, right? You don't. What I'm saying is you're going to have a very, okay, unless you want to live off the doll. What's that? I said I'll, I'll go bald soon and I can't afford uh, Turkish hair implants. Right. So what I'm trying to say is, that's what I'm trying to say is the fundamental issue is working people are not able to sustain a even a basic life anymore. It's becoming too difficult, okay? And this is a fundamental issue. And they're being hit in multiple ways. And that's how we started this conversation. You have the fact over the last, since 1970, $50 trillion have been transferred to the elites. We literally have a two-caste system world in the United States right now. And it's being exacerbated more and more and more. AI is going to exacerbate it more. The elites have no intention. They have no desire to have more people, okay? You know, it, it it's not to their interests. So they will have kids, but they don't want the rest of humanity having kids. So they're squeezing people at all different levels. The state owns your kids in the United States, literally owns them. They profit from breaking up kids because if there's a kid and the husband, the, uh, they take away the kid, there's $40,000, $50,000 in incentives that goes to the foster families and the in-between people. So the entire system has become corrupt. And this comes back to my central issue. We need a systems overhaul. All of these problems, Noel, they're so intimately connected. The lifespan issue, the issue of you know people being able to survive and having a healthy family, food. It's becoming very, very difficult for average people to basically survive. And... Meanwhile, there's enormous amount of wealth being created by a finite set of people. And ultimately, you know, when you walk this through, if a guy like me doesn't become president and really can lead this country, you will have revolution. You will have civil war because people aren't going to stand for this nonsense. Or people will just be wiped out, one or the other, if they don't get their shit together and organize a movement. Those are the three possibilities that's going to occur. 
Okay. Uh, we'll go to uh, the next question uh, from uh, from Ardell Gow. Hey, good evening, everyone. Hi. Good evening. How are you? Yeah. Basically, like my question is like you know I have two questions like, uh, right now. Uh, first of all, like you know. In terms of, you probably see the global dynamics changing everything with, uh, there's also a question of multipolar world that's uh, coming on a horizon. So how are you going to tackle that part? Uh, because this is, it's going to happen ultimately. This is how, because uh, for 30 years, we, we saw US as a, as a sole power. Uh, we, uh, we discussed about the wars, economies, all those things going on, and we, we were mess, getting to, into mess and everything, right? So that's one part. And the second question I have is, you know, is social media. You know, the system, like you, you just you just spoke about the system, the primary system and everything that needs. Right now, we have to, uh, all thanks to... Canada, Pakistan, India, wherever, people have like a... This, people have divided big time. Like, in US, you have Fox News versus CNN. And there are people who are just like, when people are just uh, breaking relationship because he followed Trump and all those things. So we believe that social media has uh, has gone sour. It has gone completely out of the way. And now we, people have, it just, it just broke people and then the society into two halves, into radical. Like in the, in, I would say in, they have been broken radically. Like you, hey, you are with us or against us. So that's what uh, my question was. Yeah, you're asking a great question. Look, what's happened with social media and more with predictive analytics and AI, what's going on is that, look, when, if, you, if you ask someone, I was just talking to a very good friend of mine, about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if let's say there were two car advertisements, right? There was a car advertisement for a Ford or a Chevy. And you ask someone, why are you going to take the Chevy? They would say, oh, this is why. They would actually have a rational reason, okay? I'm choosing this because of this, this, and this. If you ask today somebody, why are you voting for Trump? Why are you voting for XYZ, right? They actually don't have an irrational reason. They are following to a conclusion without actually being able to follow down a logical path. It's quite fascinating. So to your point, the social media has these people called influencers and people follow somebody or follow some data or follow some conclusion without themselves being able to know why did you reach that conclusion you follow me and this is quite fat it's not only fascinating it's quite dangerous okay so large numbers of people are coming to a conclusion following something without actually being able to tell you why they came to that conclusion and this is culturally, it's happening globally. And the if you go on Google right now, should you eat spinach or should you use this? People say, oh, I'm going to eat spinach because it's good. Well, why is it good? Oh, because blah, blah, blah told me it's good. But do you know why it's good? Have you ever thought about, well, maybe you shouldn't eat spinach because for some people, solanine uh, causes you know uh, inflammation oh, I, or rheumatoid. Oh, I didn't know that, right? So people are following an individual without thinking how they even got to that conclusion. And 
And this is deliberately happening because with the companies who are, you know, as my lawsuit showed, there are of the four social media companies are all run by the government. The government, anyone thinking Elon Musk, you know, cares about you and is a free speech absolutist needs to really rethink it. Um, he jumps when government tells him to jump. The backdoor portals into all of these social media companies exist today. Every social media company has a backdoor portal run by the government. Okay. And the data that's being gathered right now on this call, everyone we're talking, the predictive analytics that's being gathered is being used. So, for example, right now, of my 350,000 followers, there's some machine learning that is understanding the nature of my followers, who they are, and creating a signal, a characteristic signal, who my followers are. And then you can sweep across the internet and you can push them content, you can manipulate them, or you can say, wow, Dr. Shiva is truly the anti-establishment candidate. And here's a fucking doofus called Booby Kennedy. I'm going to drive people to him away from Dr. Shiva. So you have quite a lot of manipulation like never taking place. So again, this very powerful technology is not being used for the advancement of humankind to teach people how to think. It's actually being told people what to think. And, and in a world like that, you can create dialectics very, very quickly division among people. And I think that's what you're observing. So what is the way out of it? Well, the way out of it is you need to have leadership people who pound away and give people the solutions of how to think. Look, in 2020, when we were the first ones to come out against Fauci, against the pandemic and all these things, we created a movement, Truth, Freedom, Health. And people should go to truthfreedomhealth.com if you want to know more. But I believe in my bones, not only do I believe I know, the way out of this is we're at a very critical point in humankind. And if you look at the advancement of humankind, it has always come through raising consciousness. Okay. And we live at a point in society right now where we need 10, 20, probably 50. We don't need everyone. 50 to 100,000 people to raise their consciousness, to understand again how to think and be leaders in their communities and teach people to think beyond left and right. And that is what, you know, my... You know, the, if there's, you know, email is a great invention side to solve. And that's what Truth Freedom Health is. It's a university. It is a community. It's a technology. It's global. We are educating people how to think and be leaders beyond these left, right, Muslim, Hindu, you know, whatever narrative, right? Whatever way people can split us. And it's not just going to come saying, oh, we are all going to come together, heal the divide. Bullshit. You actually have to understand there is divisions, a real division among the 0.001% and the 8 billion who want to keep us all fighting. There is a set of forces who want to divide us into very, very micro segments. And the only way out of this is people, enough people to understand that there is a way to think beyond left and right. And that's what I teach people. And that is called system science. So all of you wanting to know that, know that you don't have to spend 50 years at MIT. Go watch the Swarm video, shatterthesworm.com. Go there. You know, it took me 50 years to do that little sketch, but you'll get it. It's gone viral in spite of all the shadow banning I undergo. Then understand that you are the agent of change, that we have to start recognizing that we have to start using our brains and our noggins, not following this influencer one day and another influencer one day, that we have to learn how to think again. Otherwise, you know, people are going to come to conclusions and be in these little left, right, pro, anti camps and not really understand how to think.
And that's where we live in, right? We live in a world of so much information now that with all this information, ignorance is also growing exponentially. And the only way out of it is wisdom. And you cannot get to wisdom without knowledge. And knowledge is not the same as information. Knowledge is being able to see the interconnections among things. And there is a science how to do that. It's called system science. Kissinger knows it. George Soros knows it. Okay. He wrote some of the best papers on it called reflexivity theory. Not best, but he understands it. And so the broad mass of people with social media can be controlled as never before with microseconds now. And that is why the interconnection between governments, social media, centralized digital bank currencies, and carbon tax is going to be devastating. You can manipulate large masses of people, then you layer an AI, and then you have a, a lot of people who don't know how to think except follow. You're going to end up in a very, very devastating situation. That's why the only forces I started this conversation is my run for president and our movement for truth, freedom, health. If there was someone else doing this, I wouldn't be doing this, guys. But go to Truth Freedom Health. Understand that you have to learn how to think. And we've created that infrastructure. Come, you know, 11 a.m. or 8 p.m., we do these open houses. You can go to vashiva.com slash orientation or shivaforpresident.com slash town hall. But this is what needs to be done. We need to have enough critical mass of people who learn how to think and build community around that. Not go sort of, you know, you know, you know, be individual heroes. It's not going to happen. We have to come together. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Shiva, uh, we've been on for uh, with two and a half hours. Uh, can you stay for like maybe uh, with 10 more minutes? Sure. Okay, great. All right. So, uh, we'll take uh, one question from uh, the Plain USA. Hi, Dr. Shiva. It's Nicole with The Flame at The Flame USA. We're a physical paper, and we try to break out of the echo chamber. And my question to you is, I've been, I saw you on my Yadams. It was a fabulous interview. And the depth of what the evil is and the control mechanisms are um, like layers and layers to this stuff. How... How do we help you become president? You're the only one that makes sense out of everybody. And how how do we become leaders in our own area to help um, change this country when everything looks so dismal? Um, I'd love to see you win. It just seems um, seems um, like a, a a big hurdle, and we do need a tipping point of consciousness. Um, how do we do that? And also, how do I get a hold of you? Because I did a mock-up paper for your organization. Thank oh, okay. You. So let me, um, um, so uh, what is your name again? Nicole? My name's Nicole. Yeah, so N Nicole, Nicole first of all, Nicole, thank you very much for your kind comments. You can DM me on Twitter and I'll respond to you, okay? I tried. It doesn't oh. let me DM you. Oh, does it? That's weird. No you it doesn't have a message part so oh well that's very interesting that's very interesting because everyone should be able to dm me and by the way to everyone listening out there understand and you're bringing up a very good thing nicole and i want to answer your question when you know on february 20 february 1st 2021 i was thrown off twitter why was i thrown off twitter i was thrown off i was running for office 
because I expose the fact that the government has this backdoor portal. It's quite incredible. Long before the Twitter pause, that's why I was thrown off. I was put back on. And when I used to do a tweet, by the way, I used to get 30,000 retweets. You can go look at it. 30,000 retweets. None of my followers were bots. And you can go look at that. All organically grown since 2007. Quite extraordinary. My reach was massive, massive depth, massive stickiness. So I was very dangerous to the establishment because I was exposing Fauci. I was ex all of this before all the grifters came along in, in the quote unquote medical freedom movement. So when I was put back on in December 2022, the first tweet I did, you guys can go look at it. I said, hey, Elon, why don't you make me your CEO? I'm the guy who actually fights free speech. That tweet got, I think, 20 million views. You can go look at it, about 12,000, 20,000 retweets. And then after that, I said, Elon, are you going to take away the backdoor portal into Twitter, which is still open to government, the backdoor censorship portal? And I kept hammering him. And my tweets went from a 1 million views per day down to around 10,000. You, you guys should look at this. And meanwhile, all the grifters, the fucking fucker Carlsons, the Glenn Greenwalds, all of these people are promoting Elon Musk as some savior. But he's a Zionist hoodlum also. He's an actor, okay? He's owned by, SpaceX is owned by the government. Carbon, Tesla would not be worth $600 billion if it wasn't for the $1.5 billion in carbon credits. And Twitter would be worth shit if it wasn't for Section 230 immunity, okay? And we can talk about Neuralink. But the bottom line is these people aren't our heroes. So as I started exposing, and meanwhile, all the conservatives are bowing down to Elon Musk. Thank you, Elon, for putting me back on your, let me, whatever. <laughs> um, now, what happened was, and if you, you can see it, people have been telling me, wow, Dr. Shiva, I can't, I don't see you anymore. I don't even follow Kennedy. I'm being redirected to him, and I have enough data. And by the way, we filed a lawsuit, and I'll be representing myself, and you'll see more data on this. But I was the one who was winning my lawsuits going head on against Twitter. And but the bottom line is these fuckers want to make me and our movement and all of you invisible. This is how afraid they are. It's not even making me controversial anymore. Joe Rogan follows me, he won't put me on. Fucker Carlson won't put me on. But overnight they'll found this brown nose, big farmer, brown noser, and overnight he's made everywhere. That's how afraid of they are of us. Us, meaning not just me, all of us. And they know that I'm building a movement, that I figured it out, and our movement has figured it out. So when you say you can't message me, it really troubles me, okay? Because this happens to me every fucking day. And I'm a candidate for United States president. I put my time into this country. I got all the degrees. I won all the awards. I won bottoms up, fair and square. And these people cheat. They're fucking cheaters, all of them. They all cheat because they cannot win fair. So how do we win? This is how we win. Number one, and if you wanna write this down, write it down. Number one, go watch Shatter the Swarm. Take 15 minutes and you will understand 50 years of scientific knowledge compressed in a beautiful little video. You must know who the enemy is, step one. You got that, Nicole? You've probably seen it. Yes, Okay. Number one. Number two, recognize that they want to diminish you as a human being. They want to diminish you having respect for yourself. Every microsecond, probably every nanosecond, they have put trillions of dollars into promoting these celebrities, these entertainment people, 
these distractors, be it Alex Jones, be it Fucker Carlson, go down the list. And these people have no interest in empowering you to build a movement because they know it's over for them. Truth, Freedom, Health is the only force right now on this planet which recognize that we need to build a movement. And we're dealing with this in the following way, Nicole. This multi-trillion dollar psychological operation network wants to continually make you feel depressed, complacent. You can't do anything. Like there's, and it's called learned helplessness. And when you follow the wrong people and they let you down over and over and over again, guess what happens? The frontal lobe of your brain, the limbic system changes. And it's called learned helplessness. And that's what they're doing to masses of people. Now, the way out of it is people need to choose the right people who is one of us. And we need to all become leaders. Now, how do we do that? Number one, you got to put in the effort. We call it a warrior scholar program. You got to be a little bit of a good student. Now, I've created that environment. People have to let go of their egos and understand, wow, I'm an unconscious incompetent. I don't really know what I don't know. But Dr. Shiva spent 50 years putting the shit together. Let me go study it. There is levels of mastery and apprenticeship. We've removed that from the educational system, Nicole. Every fucking idiot thinks he has an opinion and he's smart. No, it's not true. You have to have a certain reverence for a good plumber or a good carpenter. We have created a revolutionary engineering system that, number one, you have to understand how systems work. Start with the swarm. Go to Truth, Freedom, and Health. Become a warrior scholar. We have created enough activities now for people to get on the ground, learn to hand out a flyer, put a bumper sticker on. Why? Let me tell you why this bumper sticker is really important. You put this bumper sticker, everyone listening, you go to Schieffer for president. It's a simple, it's a poor man's way of being an activist. You put it on the back windshield of a car. It's basically saying, fuck you, Nicole. Okay. And 100,000 people will see that a day. And they don't want that. They don't want you saying, I made a decision. I don't give a fuck about left or right, lesser of two evils, whether he's going to win or not. I'm behind him because I'm going to do the principal thing. That's a very powerful statement, Nicole. People doing things on principle. And if enough waves move that, there's a very interesting phenomenon in nature called the S-curve. It's called the sigmoid. Are you familiar with that? The S-curve goes like this. It looks flat and flat and flat, but at a certain point, it goes straight up. And this is how anyone who's built a business, anyone who's worked hard knows this. You start a business, you make 50 calls, you're trying to get sales and you don't get them and you just keep working and working and working. Finally, you get one client, then two clients, then you get 10 and you get 100. You see what I'm saying? But people are taught like somehow a Messiah is going to come from above. It's not going to happen. We have to build a movement. Now, when you have to build a movement, you have to say, how do I build a movement? How do I build an iPhone? How do I build a furnace? How do I build an airplane? Well, then you have to understand there's physics, there's science. Well, how do I learn that? Well, when it comes to building this concept of a systems science, it's taken me 50 years, not only to figure this out, but to articulate it, to educate it, and to teach all of you to teach others. So we have to be scholars that physics exists, that science exists, the same stuff that Henry Kissinger learns, you can learn. It's like Prometheus bringing fire. Then number two, you have to start doing very simple activities. Get a flyer we have on, on Shiva for President, which teaches people what's going on with the lifespan. Who is doing this? The dynamics. And you have to start talking, educating other people door to door, one on one. 
Okay, it is not going to happen over. It is not going to happen overnight. Could we print that in our paper? Because, yes, uh, sure. I love the article from you, but you're a video guy for sure. And um, that would be something. We're national paper, and we get out of the echo chamber, and that's a start that we could help out with. Yeah, yeah, but I really appreciate that because if you're a physical paper, everyone listening to Nicole, listen to this. You know, when I was at MIT, Nicole, in 1981, um, we organized the entire student body and we didn't have any money. We literally used a two page flyer and we challenged the MIT newspaper, which had millions of dollars behind them. People forget the immense power we have a simple black and white flyer handing it out. Old school, it fucking works. And we have become stuck to this medium and they own this medium. They don't own your bumper sticker on your car, guys. Please go get one and put it on. If you like what I'm saying and you want one of us, get one of these bumper stickers. Number two, download that flyer. Go to your libraries, you pay dollars. Use, abuse their printers. Print as many, hand them out to people. That's what we do, Nicole. And I get on the ground. By the way, Booby fucking Kennedy can't even get on the ballot in Utah. He's asking people for money. And then he does some backdoor deal to extend it. Okay? These people don't even play by the rules. They don't have a movement, Nicole. We have a movement. And we need to explosively grow it. And all of you listening. All of you. Yeah. And we have that movement. The movement is built. It is Truth, Freedom, Help. It is the only force for humanity right now. And it's created, it's done, it's there on a silver platter. You have to decide if you want to be part of it and exercise it and grow it and stop living in your little individual hovels of depression. You know, we have to all come together and we don't need everyone, by the way, Nicole, my numbers are on 10 to 20,000 people really understand this, can articulate this. The day more and more people expose fucking Kennedy, expose Vivek the snake, expose Trump, exposed what I call the not so obvious establishment. That's when it's over, Nicole. It's easy to expose the Bidens, you know, the Bushes and all those people, right? But the establishment is very deceptive now. They have two layers of deception. One layer is the the obvious establishment, but now they create all these grifters. Fucker Carlson is fucking intelligence. Come on. He comes from an intelligence family. He grifts whichever way. He's not our friend. So you have so much levels of deception, but the every our movement is educating people to break away. That's why they make me invisible. They say, fuck, this guy's figured us out. So it's time all of you figured it out. And for you to figure it out, you have to get training and you have to practice it. Come to our open houses, bring millions of people there. It is, and there is a way out. There's more of us than them. But if we are running around with a toothpick, and scissors to fight them, and they have a nuclear weapon, we're never going to win. The nuclear weapon is system science. Understanding this. Now, I've organized that, but I can't lead, I can only lead a horse to water. I can't make you fucking drink it. Nicole. When is your open open house? uh, And so to everyone listening, we host open houses every Thursdays at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. And I run those. It's typically, people tell you, it's a 20-hour day for me. You will find no other presidential candidate working as hard as I do. 
Thank you, sir. Okay. Uh, but thank you, Nico. That was very good. Um, so, Dr. Shiva, we'll take the one last question. There are uh, so many people who still want to ask questions. So maybe we should do this uh, space uh, one more time, maybe uh, sure. next month or something like that. Um, okay, so we'll go uh, to Good Charlie. Hey, Dr. Shiva. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. Hi, Charlie. How are you? All, all of your efforts uh, the, the 2020 election to expose the, the weighted rank of voting systems and stuff like that. Uh, I thought that was quite admirable how you how you fought for uh, truth and, and sanity and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so my, I, I have two questions. They're unrelated. Uh, the first one is quick. Um, so there, are, I think there are some people who advocate for more of like a state planned economy, uh, and then there are others who maybe uh, favor more of a free enterprise approach. Uh, however, that ends up uh, where do you fall uh, in between that spectrum in, in terms of your your systems approach to restoring? Yeah, maybe man, it's a it's a it's a brilliant question you're asking. Really, really good question. So let me just sort of rephrase it. So one set of people say, hey, we need you know, this free enterprise economy and the other people say we need sort of a top-down planned economy, right? I think that's where you're asking, right, right Charlie? Exactly. Yeah, so let me, so it's you, let me set, tell you, by the way, you know, everyone go to Truth, Freedom, Health, come to our open houses, watch the videos, but let me just answer your question. Look, since the time that one human being or a group of human beings were oppressing another group of human beings, right? People have been pondering this very powerful issue of human liberation. What is a free human being? And throughout the history of human existence, those people who are true humanists or revolutionaries, um, they considered the concept of there was a human, an individual, and they had some conception of their creator whatever you want to call that, God, whatever, nature, whatever you want to call it. And the central theme was that all the barriers should be removed between that individual to pursue their relationship with that creator. That could be through art, through medicine, through science, through meditation, whatever it was, right? Everyone's a unique human being. And this was sort of the human journey. Now, in between that individual and that pursuit of, you could call life, liberty, and happiness, something obstructed that way okay now so in order to address this issue philosophers have typically been ruling the answers to these fundamental questions philosophers be it socrates plato john locke right uh you can go down to karl marx lenin and i've studied all these people adam smith etc and what's interesting is all of these people were not engineering people they weren't engineers they didn't have to deal with the material realities of the forces of nature they had ideas in their head theories philosophy you follow what i'm saying it wasn't grounded in material like reality like force equals mass times acceleration or like they were they had ideas okay one idea um this goes back to the classical liberalism model that the state exists as a social contract right a quote unquote social contract Okay, you have these people, and the way we're all going to get together, we're going to create this thing called a government, a state, and the state is going to be like the big brother or the big 
uh, Papa taking care of everything, right? And that was a liberal idea, John Locke, okay? All right. Um, Lenin took a very different approach to this. Lenin said in State and Revolution, he said, the state actually exists to not, you know, bring everyone together, but essentially to accentuate and, and, and keep alive these class contradictions. So the state is not there to help you out to be your friend, which is what Locke and classical liberalism was promoting, but the state actually exists to make sure that one class of people is subjugated to another class, right? And that's why we have standing armies and military. It's not to make you feel good and to protect you and your neighborhoods. It's to make sure that you don't get out of line and overthrow your oppressor, right? So that was Lenin's concept. Um, and there were variations on this. You had the anarcho-syndicalists, you know, sort of libertarians who believed in, well, we don't need organization at all, right? Um, just let everyone do their own thing. Well, how are you going to, but the contradiction was libertarianism and the anarcho-syndicalists from Bakunin, you needed to organize <laughs> anarcho-syndicalism. You know what that means, right? So it's sort of a contradiction. Um, but fundamentally, all these guys, well-meaning or otherwise, everything that they did was based on a philosophical understanding. And so there was always this separation, like you just said, between top-down planning, right, or capitalist, you know, planning. But more importantly, there was this separation also between science and religion. Now, all of that changed in my view, and very uh, uh, around in the 1920s and 30s with the development of information theory and then with the work of Ilya Pogroni, who won the, uh, the Nobel Prize in physical chemistry, okay? And this is where really the foundations of, I think, our future lies. And that is what I'm really helping to catalyze globally is this concept of system thinking, system science. System science says, wait a minute, there is a way to bridge East and West or science and tradition and, you know, science and religion for that matter. Because on the one aspect, the world is a mechanistic universe. And the other aspect, there is a concept of an individual can make a difference. You see, the contradiction always was to your fundamental question, do heroes make history? Do histories make heroes? This is where it comes in. So there were the materialists who believed history makes heroes. And then the idealists who believe heroes make history. But the reality is both of them are actually true. And so that provides incredible opportunity for, for humans. What that fundamentally comes down to system science, which is a much more truth, is what's called self-organizing systems. Self-organizing systems. And what that says is, if you take, imagine a still pool of water, and I drop enough pebbles. You don't need to drop a big rock to create a wave. You just need to drop enough and then you create a standing wave. So if you look at the broad mass of humanity as people at certain states of consciousness, when that consciousness starts moving, you create what I call a phase transition. In system and revolution, I talk about that. What is a revolution is actually when things move from one phase to another and a revolution occurs not slowly, it builds, 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 and boom, it occurs overnight, like ice melting to water, right? Or water turning to steam. It's like one point, things just occur. And this is why we need to recognize we need to build a movement. 
A movement is a movement of consciousness. And this is what the elites don't want. They do not want you becoming a self-organizing system where you start participating, you start vibrating, and the next person does, the next person does, and consciousness changes. And what I'm talking about is a consciousness of understanding that you as a human being, your labor and your capital, uh, your labor is far more valuable than money. They don't want you to think about that. They don't want you to understand that there's 8 billion of us and there's only a few of them. So how are they able to control 8 billion people? It is through the mind. It is through a psychological operation. It is creating heroes from them that you are forced to follow. And when you break from that, it's a two degree shift and you start understanding the system science, you become a very powerful person and you engage other people and you start creating a self-organizing system. Now, where that leads to, I don't want to talk about, let me tell you why, because then you start becoming a fascist. And this has been the problem. When the Bolshevik revolution took place, initially it was a bottoms up movement. And then the Leninists, what they thought was we're going to accelerate this and they took over it. The problem was they were successful, but that success became their own problem. So the issue is we want to create the movement in consciousness. And what manifests from that is up to those people what they decide. Does that make sense? So this is saying that we do need to organize, but we're not going to be sort of you know, aloof like the libertarians and the anarcho-syndicalists say, but we recognize that it's a movement in consciousness. And when that movement in consciousness occurs, it will move this frame of society to another frame that serves the large majority of people. And so it would be wrong for me to dictate that because it's violating the concept of self-organizing systems. But what I am is a catalyst, and you're a catalyst, and you're a catalyst, and you're a catalyst. And when enough of us get these fundamental principles that run the universe, it's over for them. Because we are now in resonance with nature. When you look at these three words that I hold here, truth, freedom, health, these are words that come from ancient systems of yoga. They called it vatha, pitta, kapha. And it also comes from modern engineering science, transport, conversion, storage the movement of information, matter, and energy, that's freedom. The ability to take ideas, convert them from one form to another, create innovation, that's really the process of the scientific method, truth. The infrastructure, by the way, in India, that call, they call that the Pitta concept. And the idea of taking and providing infrastructure for all of this to take place, that was called structure or storage in the engineering system. In the ancient system of yogic science was called Kapha. And here I call it health. You see, I have rediscovered a fundamental framework for all humans. And you can use this to understand your body as a system. You can use it to become your own doctor. You can use it to heal your body and essentially organize human beings. So in a quite profound way, I find myself in an interesting situation. On the one hand, I rediscover a very fundamental knowledge as a political activist and also as someone who studies health all day as a scientist. But this is what I have been fortunate to uncover. And this is the renaissance that's going to take place on humanity. And that is what we're leading. And this is how we're going to change the world. But it's not going to happen just in an unstructured way. It's not going to happen because we think the worst people get, they're going to rise up. It's going to happen through conscious thought, conscious decision making. It is going to happen through your labor, through your effort. 
It is going to happen through your deciding, I want to understand this. So if people come to our Thursday, 11 a.m., 8 p.m., we have such amazing people that are coming. People are highly self-reflective. You know, I fucking followed Trump. He fucked me. I realize I'm missing something. I followed Booby fucking Kennedy. I realized he bangs 30 women and fucking got his wife killed. You know, drove his wife to hang herself. And then he vaccinated all his kids and tells me not to vaccinate anyone. You know, they start seeing these contradictions. Oh, Vivek the snake, that motherfucker. He talks about he's against affirmative action, but then he took an affirmative action scholarship. People are realizing that why are they compromising for these people with serious contradictions? And when that happens, you become a human being. You start having respect for your life and you stop looking to them. And when you come to that point, recognize that we have created the infrastructure, the movement for you. And it is not going to happen with me alone. And we're at a turning point in history. And my journey brings me to this point. So for God's sake, if you're listening to this, get involved in our campaign. Anything is possible. I learned that as a kid. I put worked hard. I had a vision. You can make anything occur. Now think about what we could do collectively, all of us. Don't let anyone say, oh, well, I don't know if you can be president. Uh, you know, it's uh, we got to choose a lesser of two evils. Well, there you go. You fucking fucked yourself. You just limited your thinking. Yep. Okay. I don't see that. That was wonderful. So this is the uh, longest uh, spaces we've had. We've uh, lasted for more than three hours. We've had lots and lots of audience, and we have lots and lots more uh, questions. Uh, but obviously, we should do it uh, one more time. And uh, this has been very, very good. You know, uh, we have to uh, step out of uh, the current paradigm. We have uh, a terrible education, uh, a terrible media, a terrible food, terrible uh, big pharma, terrible politics, wars. So uh, I would really, you know, when you uh, think about uh, the system, it's not uh, uh, just America. Uh, the system has to be the whole world. And, and uh, to make America great, well, we have to make the world great. And we need a, a revolution in uh, the conscience, what we understand. And uh, the people in power, uh, they certainly understand uh, the system. Okay. And that's how they're able uh, to manipulate uh, uh, billions of people and uh, keep us in uh, the darkness. So uh, uh, let's all do our part. Follow Dr. Shiva. Uh, think out of the box. Between something. Content. Uh, Content. What I wanted to add is some very, uh, as we close here, some very, very important practical things. I'm a, I'm a big believer of very discreet and precise actions that can help, okay? Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing my job on this call, Kanthan. Number one, everyone go to shiva-4president.com. And when you go there, get a bumper sticker. And it may seem like a simple thing. I keep repeating this, Kanthan. But I'll tell you, those bumper stickers, 100,000 people see them per day. That's a wave. 
So imagine you driving from now on, and you can do this worldwide. This is not just a, my running for president is a global campaign. So wherever you are, you can get those bumper stickers. Number two, if you go to Shiva for president, you'll see a thing called free downloads. And in that area, Kantan, you can, if you want to, if you guys want to go there right now, you'll see a flyer, which is what Nicole was sharing. That flyer pretty much says it all. It is your weapon. It is your ability to go educate your friends, your family, et cetera. It has two columns. It's old school flyer, Kantan. The left side has a problem. What is going on with the lifespan? Who is causing this? And then the left side has who this is. You can link to a video. It's on paper. The right side has our campaign video. It says, look, now get educated. Go to truthfreedomhealth.com, sign up, become a warrior scholar. And then on the right bottom side, it has, you can invite people to come to our open house. They will learn how to take care of their body. They'll learn how to think. We teach people stuff. And ultimately, education is the only way out. No politician is going to do this for us. We have been... Our knowledge has been constrained. So those are very simple actions, Kantan. And the other thing is people can go to Truth, Freedom, Health and become a warrior scholar. These are, we. I've had to distill it, Kantan, to actions people can do here and now. Not when I become president, I'm going to do this for you, right? Because my becoming president is intimately connected to you raising your consciousness. And you raising your consciousness is intimately related to the entire world raising his consciousness. Because you know the hundredth monkey effect. One monkey learns how to break a coconut on one, it's quite astounding. And another monkey learns halfway around the world. And no one knows how this occurs, but the Nobel Prize for Physical Chemistry, there's one in 1957, starts giving us an idea that information, matter, and energy are deeply connected. We don't know how all of it works, but consciousness moves consciousness. I raise my consciousness, you raise your consciousness. So understand that when you raise your consciousness, you are actually sending a wave out into the universe. You become an agent of change by you understanding these principles. And that is why the elites are so afraid of me and our movement, because they know I figured it out. So their only solution on their platforms, on their fascist platforms, is to make me invisible and to redirect my views elsewhere. And the only force against that is you and us. Well said. All right. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Uh, we'll try to do such uh, spaces more often. And uh, Dr. Shiva, thank you so much for all your work. Thank you, Kanten. Thank you for that. Yeah. We hope to uh, chat with you again in the future. Yeah, be well, everyone. Be the light right? Be the light, raise your consciousness, let's win. We have a huge opportunity. So get involved. Truth, Freedom, Health, Shiva for President. Thank you very much, Kantan, for your graciousness in doing this and helping everyone. Okay. Be well. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. I'm going to finish playing a little video I'm doing online here, okay? We have a little uh, uh, video, but I wish you all well. Have a good night. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for President of the United States of America? I was born a low-caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression, and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and inventor. 
My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses and coding software. My friends and neighbors are blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14-year-old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT, revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, anyplace by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remained safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard, and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers, and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not-so-obvious establishment. Across left and right, we were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering and fake science. Lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure, the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have, so you may learn how to think, stand up, and fight, independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement, to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for President of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file, who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people, for the working people, who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey, are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health to win back America, be part of this historic movement, all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. President. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. 
Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shiva Adure, and I approve this message. Paid for by Dr. Shiva for President.